Coming up on Tell Me Odds, first reactions to Star Wars Squadrons are in, new merchandise teases Ahsoka's live action look, Rogue One screenwriter teases some coming news, and we look back on the movie that restarted it all, Episode 7, The Force Awakens. All that and more, coming up now. Hello everyone and welcome back to an episode of Telling the Arts. I, I really fumbled those words there. But, no, you didn't. Uh, all good. Yeah. We really, really started. Nah, it's all good. Um, yeah, hopefully everyone is excited for another episode just as much as we are because uh, we're going to do this today. We've got a lot to talk about and uh, a good movie to review. So it should be fun. Yeah, what's that? Uh, it is uh, Sunday, 4th of October. Uh, the sun is shining today and COVID cases are down. So it's a good time to talk about Star Wars for a little bit of an hour <laughs> with uh, one of my good friends. Michael, how's your week been? Oh yeah, no, it's been good. Uh, been been excited for Star Wars. It's been uh, it's been it's been a lot of hype because you know we're in October now, and October means Mandalorian at the end of the month. It does. So it's always it's building up. Oh, this but, uh, this, yeah. this year's gone both slow and fast, if that makes any sense. But uh, oh, it makes too much sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, I hope you guys are all doing very well out there, wherever you're listening from. Uh, we wish you all the best, and uh, I guess we could just do a bit of a disclaimer and an apology for the audio inconsistency last week. We had some problem oh, yeah. with the buzzing of the microphones, and because it was our big interview with Hami, I got pretty irritated when I found out that the microphones was buzzing the whole time. At least mine was. Mm. Michael and Hami's audio were were fine, thankfully. So it just took some time to you know go into some different audio programs and try to fix it and um we had a bit yeah. of a delayed upload but uh, hopefully you guys still enjoyed the episode and um i'm pretty sure yeah, that i thought it was a really good one I, I i enjoyed it listening back to it and i'm pretty sure harmy will be able will be uploading that on his youtube channel because we had some correspondence after our um after we wrapped up and i think that should be happening in a couple couple days or soon if not whatever uh so yeah that should be that should be good but anyway uh we have this week to worry about and we've got a lot of cool stuff to talk about uh so um i guess we just get right into topic number one and to, and topic yeah. number one has to do with a uh a star wars squadrons because because uh, yes um yes which released this week yes it did release this week uh yesterday being october 2nd well when you're listening to this uh yesterday was october 3rd but for us it was October 2nd. Uh, it marks the console's release of Star Wars Squadrons and reviews on all sides of the internet, uh, on the gaming platforms and website discussions, whatever. Um, having pushed the full and specific explanation of the wide amount of gameplay options and possibilities, including the campaign of the game itself, it looked to be shaping up as one of Star Wars' most anticipated games, despite the disappointment that EA, that EA has dealt out to Star Wars gamers uh, in the past, which, you, uh, which Michael, you and I talked about mm. when the tra- when the trailer for Star Wars Squadrons first came out. Um, yeah, we did. Yeah, and I guess we've got a little bit more insight as to whether or not those fears were warranted, because all in all, first reactions to the game are fine. They're fine. Yeah, uh, reviews have been split down the middle, with some people having outright uh, saying outright that it returned Star Wars gaming to its bare essentials in the best of ways, providing nostalgia and direct callbacks to the 1997 game TIE Fighter vs. X-Wing. Uh, while others saying that the game is quite underwhelming based on the limited diversity of the gameplay itself and a campaign that feels more like a tutorial than a well-thought-out storyline. But one thing that appears to not have been faulted at all so far is the option to play in VR, which has been met with fierce positivity. Um, At GameRadar.com, I was like, you know, just poking around the first reactions so that we could talk about this. Um, They they said that it turns idle daydreams into tangible experiences, and that sounds like pretty, uh, um, pretty you know outright worthy praise but um uh, obviously we haven't played the game yet i yes. was actually on the verge of buying it just last night 
because no way. because um I actually completely forgot that it was coming out and people started to post all these videos on YouTube and stuff. So I, so I just researched, you know, Star Wars Squadron's release date and it was the 2nd of October. So I'm like, oh God, all right. Um, so I went on to, you know, I have an Xbox. I went on to the store and I was, uh, you know, I was going to buy it. And then I went on to YouTube and like, you know, they said that, you know, the reactions like we were just talking about were mixed. And look, I'm not the biggest, I love Star Wars, but I'm not the biggest gamer <laughs> uh gamer. yeah i'm not the yeah. i'm not the biggest gamer in any sense of the word really um so if yep. if the if uh if the if it's a game or a star wars game and i'm gonna be paying you know 50 to 60 dollars for it i have to be able to like you know it needs to be something where people are saying yeah it's really good you really got to play it it's worth what it's worth playing but because of the de- um the divisive reaction to it i've sort of held off from buying it for right now but yeah, I don't know. How do you interpret this news, Michael? Yeah, so, I, again, I haven't played it. And I'd say out of the two of us, I'd probably be the bigger gamer. Uh, yes, um, yes, certainly. <laughs> in terms of whatever that, that word means. Mm. But, yeah. Uh, for me, I don't think I've really considered getting it just yet. In terms of... I, I tend to get games when they're a bit older. But yeah. uh, also, my relationship with EA and uh, Star Wars games is a bit mixed and interesting. Because uh, I've owned both of the Battlefront games... And like quite like them in terms of especially the space elements have been some of my favorite parts in them. Yeah. Like, and so and so I think this game definitely would be something I'd enjoy. But one of the things that they said there, which I think makes a hundred percent sense, was it like felt lacking in some sort. And they EA the EA Star Wars games tend to have that problem where they just they do tend to lack content. Like they have a core mechanic, a core like maybe like a storyline of some sort, and then like the multiplayer mode. But then they just like I don't know. They often like tend to put their multiplayer games, which just like uh, and expect that to be the entire game. And like maybe that's just not tend to be how I play games. I don't really play many multiplayer only games. I tend to play a lot of single player um, focused ones. And if they say that the single player is just more of a tutorial than an actual storyline, then this really doesn't sound like something I personally would be interested in. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I mean, like you, you did mention the Battlefront games. Like I play, yeah. I play a lot of Star Wars Battlefront, as in the first one, when I just like. But um, but uh, yeah. but the only thing that I really do on Battlefront is I go to those like single player skirmish missions where you get to take out two ATATs. But yeah. but like the entire time that I'm playing those games, I am spending as much time as possible in an X wing or an A wing or a uh, or a la- or a snow speeder because of the fact that those yeah. are the ones that you're allowed to fly. And because of the fact that, like, you know, I so love that dynamic in Star Wars games, being able to fly something, that's why I was really excited for Star Wars um, Squadrons. And it sounds like, you know, the, you know, the, the flying experience that you get in those skirmish uh, single-player battles in Battlefront uh, sounds very similar to what you're getting in Squadrons. Very, you know, um, uh, what's the word for it? Like, you know, just... Um, uh, like arcade games, yeah, like? just ground level fundamental flying, you know, where you just get to, you know, exactly arcade sort of like that. So that's really yeah. the only thing that sort of, you know, tipped me off as, oh yeah, maybe I would enjoy playing it. But like, honestly, I, look, I, I already have a bunch of, of the new vintage collection Hasbro Kenner action figures that are now available for pre-order in my shopping cart. So, oh, really? <laughs> uh, look, well, yeah. frankly, this week I had to decide between, you know, uh, getting those and maybe getting Star Wars Squadrons and I chose, yeah. and I chose the former and frankly, it wasn't a very difficult decision, but, um, no. look, I, I would love to play Star Wars Squadrons eventually, but given the reaction that it's yeah. gotten, I'm not going to like hurry and get it. Um, yeah, I think I, I would enjoy to, I would enjoy playing it. I certainly would. I mean, I'd sorry, this, not let me rephrase. I enjoy yeah. like seeing what it's like, but yeah. Yeah. I think this is the type of game that like, 
we'll pretty much kind of live and die off its multiplayer. So like, yeah, I, I feel like when with a lot of these types of games, I'm like, oh, I'll get in like a couple of years time when it's like eighty percent off. But like, I don't know if this game we do necessarily is good back then because I feel like in in that time because like no one will be playing it. However, I do agree with this idea that if I did have VR, which I don't. Feel like this game would be a hundred percent what oh, i'm yeah. looking for like that's to have a vr experience of being in a pilot like it's so good like i've only tried right. vr a number of times but it's like mind-blowing when you try it. it's it seriously is yeah, really good me too. I- i've played vr um on a ps4 a couple times at my friend's house and it was just mm-hmm. one of the most enjoyable experiences and i imagine yeah. yes if i did get to hop into an x-wing cockpit like actually hop into one that would be sick but i do not have a vr at my home so <laughs> um Definitely. yeah uh but yeah so i was sort of in two minds about it and i sort of tipping for now i get uh like you know not getting it immediately i'd like to get it eventually but just just not now <laughs> Yeah, especially I'm quite busy, like doing lots of things right exactly, now. Exactly, I know. I get... Like, games I'm playing, but yeah, yeah no, we're we're, we're all very focused yeah. on other things right now. But like, you know, I guess I was really just thinking, look, it would really need to be real. Like, you know, the, the the reactions to the game would have really needed to be, oh wow, this is like a new immersive, you know, uh, video game pilot yeah. experience like you've never seen before for me to really just get off my seat and get it. But Given okay. that some, I think, given that some people oh, yeah. have been like, yeah, it's fine. I'll be like, mm, yeah, no, I'll get it eventually, but just not now. I think for me, when I, because I, I, I'm, a, I'm a gamer, but I also I love Star Wars. But for me, I tend to only really like and like really want to get Star Wars games when it's like a Star Wars experience of like of a story. Like my favorite Star Wars game yeah. is like is Knights of the Old Republic, which oh. I'm sure we'll do an episode awesome. sometime in the future. Yeah. Um, when we talk about our favorite Star Wars games, but and I do I do like some of the more arcadey, just like kind of just the gameplay ones, like the original Star Wars Battlefront Two from like two thousands. Oh, good. that's one of my favorites. But, yeah, and so and I'm looking forward to playing Jedi uh, Jedi Fallen Order when I do. But like the fact that this is is more of just like a multiplayer experience of just like playing in spaceships and like flying around means like. It's really not the type of game that I would jump out of my seat to get. Like, if we were to get what we were originally going to get with, like, the story experience uh, from Visceral, I think, or whatever, the one that was cancelled and turned into, like, a multiplayer game development because EA's development hell with their Star Wars game. <laughs> yeah. One was, like, Uncharted-style Star Wars. I would have gotten that immediately. Me too. But, like, I was so this... excited for that when that started to, like, you know, yeah. circulate. Exactly. But, for, like, this, eh, uh, I... It's it's not an immediate jump out for me. Yeah. But hopefully some people enjoy it. That's so especially after seeing, you know, stuff like The Mandalorian, like if we did get to have like an uncharted or like Red Dead Redemption in the style of the Star Wars Galaxy, I would just go over the moon for something like that. But um yeah. given that like you were just talking about with like the campaign and the story, apparently it's more like a tutorial than an actual thought out yeah, storyline. Which... It doesn't sound very, you know, um uh, yeah. uh approachable for me to be honest. Which reminds As a me casual of original... gamer. Yeah, it reminds me of, of EA's first Star Wars Battlefront, which, when that released, had, like, the most bare-bones single-player. Like, it was basically just, like, tutorial missions or, like, little arcade missions. Uh, and then with the sequel, they they actually added a storyline, which I think was a good storyline, but it was just kind of misleading in how they promoted it. Yeah. Um, and the fact that this is just kind of going back to being called more of a bare-bones tutorial was just, like, doesn't bode well. Because eh. me, I'm, <laughs> I'm more of a single-player gamer, so... Yeah. Yeah, no, I would agree. I'm definitely more single player because as a casual gamer, I know full well that me jumping on any sort of multiplayer will get me uh just 
destroyed and killed immediately. But um, yeah. yeah. So that's that. That's Star Wars Squadrons. Uh, we'll get. I guess we'll see how it ages over the over the coming weeks and um, coming months. I suppose. Yeah. Um, if there's anything, any more news we'll bring to you, we'll mention it in the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's that, guys. I hope you, uh, if you, but uh, don't let us discourage you from getting Star Wars Squadrons. If it's really something that you think you'd enjoy, uh, go ahead and get it. Don't let us stop you. Uh, now, our second story has to do with our old friend Ahsoka. She's back, and uh, we thought that we'd see her in the Mandalorian Season 2 trailer, but this might just be the next best thing, uh, because we have what can, I guess, be called an Ahsoka character redesign. Uh, basically, just to give you guys some, you know, exposition. Um, part of the... Because there's a there's a big vintage collection and Hasbro Kenner, like, you know, line of new action figures and new collectibles coming out right now for either pre-order or otherwise. And one of them uh, is part of the... Uh, as part of the Black Series line, actually is releasing a collectible of Ahsoka's lightsaber. But it's her... Um, basically what you call her season seven lightsaber. It's her original design, you know, with the large, like, you know, black line down it, like, you know, the one that we've come to mm. know since we first saw her in Clone Wars, but it's with the blue, uh, blue blade that you got to see in, uh, the end of season seven. So, uh, that coupled with the fact that on the side of the box, you do get to see Ahsoka, but her face is, um, it doesn't look different, but it's become, it, it's been, uh, you know, redesigned in terms of her eye shape and, the, you know, her, her lips and stuff to make it look like an actual, like, you know, uh, a live action version of her. Um, and so that's basically, people have sort of taken that to think that they are releasing this in conjunction with Rosario Dawson's portrayal of her, because that's another thing. If you look at this picture, it doesn't look like a spitting image of Rosario Dawson, but it makes it a lot easier to think of her as Ahsoka when you look at this picture. Um, yeah, I think you could definitely get away with saying, like, this is her younger, like, kind of, like, as you said, Season 7 Clone Wars. Yeah. But it does kind of seem like a younger Rosario Dawson. Like, yeah. if you add, like, what is it, like, like how many years on? Uh, it's like 19 plus, like, 4 or 9 ish. 9, yeah. So, like, 20, you add on, like, 20 something years, like, you could see that, like, visually, um, Ahsoka becoming, like, Ro- Rosario Dawson yeah. pretty, pretty consistently in terms of the performance yeah. at that time. So. I think it, I I actually quite like the design in terms of I I do really like it when they like adapt ad, adapt like comic or cartoon characters to being more like realistic or more like live action ish designed and I think that's pretty good because it it does suit Ahsoka her character design her appearance but also it's able to transition into Rosario Dawson pretty well absolutely no I I mean I love this character you know uh design that they've you know released in conjunction with this lightsaber you know uh collectible because like that's that's something that I always needed to to look at because if you look at Ahsoka as a character in the Clone Wars animated films like she is an um, she she's very well designed I've always loved the design for Ahsoka but like you know her eyes her lips they're quite disproportionate to what you would actually see in real life they're sort of like those Margaret Keane big eye paintings where like the eyes are so much bigger than the face. Um, yeah. So when Rosario Dawson was to portray her, you would, um, you know, of course get, you know, a portrayal where the eyes aren't as big, the lips aren't as big, something like that. But when you look at something like this, it, it, it seems to work quite, quite, quite well. And like you said, this is in the Mandalorian era. This is nine years after Return of the Jedi. And that's what, because like, you know, she's 17 at the height of the Clone Wars. There's 19 years mm. after that, that brings her to 36 and then four years or four years for the original trilogy. So she's 40 and then another night. So she's in her fifties to mid fifties, regardless of whether or not, or, or, like, you know, that's depending on when Mandalorian season two is taking place um, in comparison to the first season. But uh, yeah, I mean, this seems pretty, 
suitable but you know another thing in the character design is that whether it be through the um the the metal like head thing that she has between her leku and her face and the stuff that she's wearing on her arm like you know her um her her gauntlets and stuff it's the same design yeah. and the same like clothes uh and and gear that she was wearing during order 66 so um again this could just be a depiction of her at that age or it could be rosario dawson era i don't know maybe she just has one set of clothes and decided to rock it for the last like 30 years who knows um but yeah i mean it brings up a yeah, <laughs> yeah imagine that uh <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Although she, she, we've seen her in like multiple costumes since then. Oh right, yeah. of course. Silly me. Yeah, we've seen her in Rebels. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, she's in Rebels in like two separate things. Like one, her main Rebels uniform, and then two, her more Jedi ornate robes at the, the end. Gandalf robes. Yeah. Um, Which is, right. I like as much as it's like most people know and enjoy her like her character design the most in Clone Wars, and so they want to like do that version the most in. Yeah. Uh, man, or at least we think that they want to do that in Mandalorian. It kind of doesn't make much sense because, like, there's a what only is there like twenty something years between then. But we get a whole arc and storyline with Ahsoka in between that time period. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, I'd love to just like if you wanted to change the character design entirely, that would be a nice, yeah. uh, like you know, make it, make it, like make her look in Mandalorian season two her own. But you know, who knows? Um, I'd be excited to see whatever whatever comes up. But if this is the route they're taking in terms of the character design for when Rosario Dawson uh, portrays uh, our everyone's favorite Togruta, then who knows? Maybe. Uh, I'd love to see it. Um, because it's, cause I think that we were talking about, you know, this was very early days. I think it was our third or fourth episode when very initial um, uh, Ahsoka character descriptions for Mandalorian season two came out when they said that she's going to be using a blue lightsaber, which is interesting because as we know, after the Clone Wars, she gets rid of her blue lightsaber to make uh, everyone else think that she's dead. And then she purifies the Inquisitor lightsabers, makes them white, which is what we see in Rebels. And chronologically, this would come next, but she's coming back to blue. So it's interesting. Uh, I, uh, I mean, look, Mandalorian season two has got a lot of explaining to do. That's the least I can say. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I don't want necessarily them to explain too much before the show. Like, I like no, how yeah, we're true. only getting these Absolutely. small hints. Like, we've seen this picture, which could be that. We've kind of, like, received hints. At this point, considering it's less than a month off, I don't really want to see Ahsoka in promotion. No, I, th I, think I, I at, agree. At this point, I'd rather just have her appear in the show and have it be a surprise in what form she shows up or how, how we see it. Like, at, we know she's going to be in it, like, just in terms of with everything we've done. Yeah. So, I don't think they need to show yeah, it. Like, no. I think at this point, I want a surprise. At this point, with like 27 days left until The Mandalorian drops, if we got her, if we got a reveal for Ahsoka at this point, I'd be like, I mean, you sort of dropped it when it was going to come anyway, because <laughs> like imagine, you, yeah, I mean, exactly. I'd want it to be a sort of, sort of like the dark saber reveal, not, not like a thing that happens at the very end of the last episode, but like, you know, get the same amount of mm. audience effect that happened when you saw that thing slicing through the tie fight. Exactly. Yeah. If we'd have seen the dark saber before, like in a promotional thing for the Mandalorian, like, I don't know, in the trailer or whatever, it would have been like, Oh, that's the dark saber. Oh, cool. I guess I can't wait for the show to come out, but I guess there's going to be a dark saber. In it. Yeah. And then, like, it's, it wouldn't have had the same effect as, like, everything's going on. Like, oh, what a great series. Wait, what? It's still going. Pops up. Oh, my God. It's the Darksaber. Oh, my God. I can't wait for season two. Like, yeah. the effect of that was one of the strongest parts of the season. Exactly. And so, for, like, if we get, like, a, a major, like, really interesting reveal during the show for when Ahsoka shows up, that's going to be so hype. Yeah. 
I'd much rather see, uh, I, I'd much prefer instead of seeing her in like some, uh, just image that's released or like a trailer, having her pop up, like, you know, if, you know, for, for the sake of argument, if Mando and Yoda are in the Ilum cave, like when we, uh, break, broke down that trailer and she just like, you know, pops out at them like Darth Maul when Savage Press is looking for him style, like how sick would that be? Like she's come to that cave to hide and oh God, that would be so cool if she yep. just jumped out and uh, like, you know, she, she disarms Mando and, you know, holds him at, you know, saber point and says, who are you? What are you Wait. doing here? Like, that'd be so cool. Wait, when you say disarms Mando, do you mean in the regular sense or in the Jedi no, sense? No, imagine what, what would happen if like, if you're, <laughs> the if, Jedi sense of DR, disarm is, remo- is cut off the hands. Yes, true. But no, just imagine if Mando and Yoda were walking through that cave yeah. and it happens like the thing that happened when Savage Press look, went looking for Maul. They're going through that, those weird yeah. dark passageways and you could just get to see a yeah. silhouette dart by the back of the screen. And then eventually, yeah. and, and eventually like, you know, Ahsoka comes out and, you know, just, um, fights him for a minute and gets him like, you know, uh, uh, like, like I said, disarmed as in weapons and like gets him to the <laughs> ground. She strikes a lightsaber, points it to his neck and says, who are you? What are you doing here? And it, and like, you know, maybe she's got a cloak on, she rips it back and it's a soaker. How nuts would we all go? Um, so, uh, so hype. Definitely. But again, I, but I'm, I'm not the, I'm I'm not the screenwriter. So. Yes. Yeah. I'm excited to however it happens because I'm just, it's, it's hype. I'm very excited for the Mandalorian season two. It's, it's always good to be excited for something Star Wars coming up again. Yeah. Uh, so that brings a, an end to that discussion. And uh, we've got one more news story before we get into the main crux of our uh, episode today. And that has to do with um, a Rogue One writer and teasing some coming news. Uh, Gary Witter, who was one of the four screenwriters for Rogue One, he, he wrote the story, specifically the story for Rogue One, uh, took to mm. Twitter this week saying... Uh, some news coming from a galaxy far, far away next week. Stay tuned. Um, Widow is not only one of the screenwriters attached to Rogue One, but has also provided yep. the teleplay for many episodes of uh, Rebels and The Walking Dead. So he's clearly got some, uh, you know, some uh, um, experience in in uh, TV series, which is why lots of people have immediately come to suspect that we're going to get a new TV st- series from the Star Wars universe. Um, I'm thinking that because he's had like you know experience in Star Wars animation, that maybe that means that we're going to get some further development from the Bad Batch series that we already know is on the way. Uh, you know, it's entirely possible that the news coming our way soon could be related to that or something completely different. I really don't know, but it's interesting to think about. It's very ominous. It's yeah. Just leaving a little teaser in there. I, I do quite like it when, when they like tend to release these teasers on Twitter. Cause it's like, you keep in mind, okay, something's going to be announced pretty soon, but also yeah. it's like, it's not really spoiling it, but yeah, I think, I think you're probably right. It is a right on things. It could just be like maybe we're gonna see something more of the Bad Bat show. Yeah. Maybe they'll announce something else. Is do I don't know. I I, I don't really mind. It, if it's something new and exciting in Star Wars, then that'll be great. Yeah. But exactly. Otherwise, yeah. And it says far. It says news coming next week, so we'll be able to report on whatever it is. Uh, the next episode. Yeah, definitely. Um, we'll keep an eye on what yeah. on what goes on there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I'm not sure which episodes of Star Wars Rebels he wrote, but uh, I guess we could take a look at that and see if there are any of the good ones yeah. because there are some pretty stingy <laughs> episodes of Rebels. Um, <laughs> like, it, it's really hit and miss, but I I quite enjoy yeah. it. Gary with yeah. I mean, he did write. He also did write After Earth. And After Earth is... Well, you know, oh, dear. Yeah. Um, that movie... That, <laughs> oh, no. That was a movie. <laughs> um, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Hey, but I don't judge people on their worst mistakes. So, uh... <laughs> no. Um, so, there you go. Uh, writer. Hang on. Oh, give me a second. Yeah, which ones has he done? Uh, he has written, In the Name of the Rebellion, Part 1, Warhead, 
uh, the Wincarthu job and Antilles Instruction. Okay. Oh. So the Antilles Instruction is the one where they break into the yeah. Imperial place. No, that's one of my favorite episodes. Try and break out with Chile. Yeah. That was a good episode. Uh, the Wincarthu job, I think, is the one where they work with Hondo and Naka and, yes. um, and as Morrigan to try and break into the Imperial place with the... Um, Sentry security droids. Yes, that was I quite I quite like that because I mean I love Hondo. Uh, Warhead is the one with the Imperial uh, protocol droid that so the Imperial security droid that pretends to be a protocol droid. Yep, uh, that is really like a walking bomb. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but and, and the it, name of the rebellion is that one where uh, a Sabine, Ezra, and Saw Gerrera go after that huge green kyber crystal that's eventually going to be used for the Death Star, but they don't know that. And it's when yeah. it's when it's when Mon Mothma has that argument with a huge hologram of Sogarera, and that was a pretty good scene as well. Yes. And that was that scene was actually very well written as well. It's one of the most like you know enticing scenes in the early days of that season. So, and again, that's all Gary Wood is scri- uh, uh, um, uh, writing. So something yeah. like that. It makes sense because like he did Rogue One as well. Yeah. So to tie into that, okay. Well, those are pretty good selection of episodes. Those are really good episodes. Uh, I'm I'm pretty surprised I remembered what most of them were. Like I feel like I've only ever seen Rebels from start to finish once, but I've seen most of season two, one and two, like like twice or three times. Yeah, or so. but it's, good. it's get- Rebel Rebel does has some standout moments. That, that could have been that could have been worse. He could have been the screenwriter for like that one where they just go on a Melu run, and it's oh the Melu run. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Look, no. that was the early yeah. days when they were make when they were trying to make a Star Wars show for four year olds. Yeah. Okay, some all right, season one is real and consistent. There are still some good moments. There are like there are. Uh, the bro- the broken horn is probably my favorite episode, probably of all of them, and that's season one. Yep. So I do love that. Um, but yeah, I think once when they were aiming just a bit low, they were aiming, they were just aiming such a small low target demographic in season one that it it was kind of. Some parts of it were kind of difficult to enjoy while not being on the demographic, demographic, which is why I'm not immediately ready to watch uh, Resistance yet. But we'll see. Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, it's because it, it seems as though uh, what happens when Star Wars enlists Dave Filoni, they're just like, okay, we just want you to make an animated kid show. Got it? Got it. And then, and then, <laughs> like, and then, and then, in season one, and uh, of whether it be Clone Wars and Rebels, they're just like, yeah, yeah, this is for kids. And then you get into like season three, and people are being beheaded, and and uh, exactly. Yeah, and then... <laughs> it only takes it only takes him three seasons yeah. before he's like, no, I'm going all in. Dave, you did it again. Well, how many? <laughs> We've gotten two seasons of Resistance, I think, so far. Is season three of Resistance when it gets dark? And actually... <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, well, there you go. Um, I'll be excited to hear whatever news this is. And obviously, like we were just talking about, it, it says coming next week. So it'll happen sometime in the interim between this episode and the next one. And we'll be able to report on it next week. Uh, so that's that. Stay tuned and we'll give you the insight as to what it ends up being. But now uh, we have a main discussion ready to go. Um, we've had a bunch of other stuff that we've wanted to do over the past couple of weeks. So we will be, ha- we're, so we can happily say that we're getting back into our Star Wars, Sky- uh, Skywalker saga retrospective. Mm. Uh, last time we were in this, you know, sort of format, we talked about Return of the Jedi, bringing an end to our discussion to both the prequels and the original trilogy, which now brings us to the sequels. Uh, we are, yeah. we are, so today we are going to be talking about the one that, like I said in the cold open, restarted it all and served <laughs> as the first installment of the Disney Star Wars era, Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Now, we have both rewatched this movie, and I don't know about you, Michael, but I have taken a 
buttload of notes. Um, I took a lot of mental notes, but I'm ready to, yes, to bring them up when you true. bring up your regular Yeah, notes. yeah. Um, so, well, we were talking about this the last time we were on, and uh, in terms of Force Awakens, I think this is the first one, Michael, where we can safely say that you and I have some very differing opinions on this movie. So... Yeah, I am going to. I think there will be a lot of differing opinions yeah. in this. I think there will. There be. are definitely. I, I, we've had discussions about this prior to our Force Awakens, you know, uh, real discussion. But we have a lot of very similar um, uh, viewpoints on things that we really didn't, you know, think could have worked maybe better a different way. But I think before we start, I'd like to just, uh, you know, just uh, boil it down to one yes or no question that we will both answer. Michael, okay. do you like the Force Awakens? Yes. Okay. I also would say yes. I do like The Force yeah. Awakens. Uh, so I guess we can just get into our discussion now. Um, because, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the, Phant- with the uh, you know, the first reactions to Phantom Menace. And it's literally become yes. a verb when you, when you Phantom Menace a movie. Uh, because right. because <laughs> Phantom Menace was so... Um, well, Phantom Menace is Phantom Menace. A lot of people do like it, but there are a lot of people who really don't like it. But because you hadn't gotten mm. Star Wars in 16 years, when it came out in 1999, everyone thought it was the best movie of all time. And then shortly after, people started yeah, to realize but- it wasn't that great. Um, again, some people. A lot of people really love Phantom Menace. Um, but anyway... Uh, us being us, The Force Awakens was the first Star Wars movie I ever saw in a cinema because that was because because um like I had grown up with episodes one two through six, but um episode seven was the first time I was actually you know you know around when movie when Star Wars movies were actually coming out. Um, yeah. So that was so I can still remember how excited I was to go see The Force Awakens and to this day I can remember the the rush that I got when the da 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 happened after a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and it's something that I'll never ever forget and you want to say something so go ahead yeah you know we've reached an interesting point now I started watching this film I got nostalgic for The Force Awakens yeah like the point where like what this came out five years ago or so five, at this point, five like, years ago yep yeah, it came out, like, pretty much at the start of my resurgence into Star Wars. Like, I've loved Star Wars my whole life, but mostly when I was, like, 10, 12, or whatever, that was when I was most into it. Yeah. Then I kind of was less interested in it all the way up until Force Awakens was about to come out. And this film, as much as, like, uh, like say about it, this film and the resurgence of it definitely was what restarted my love of Star Wars to eventually becoming what it became now through, like, the podcast and, and who I am. And so... I got nostalgic for this film, not only like just the film, but like everything around it. Like just cause I was like, when, when force awakens came out, I was like the most invested. Like I learned like everything about like, uh, the force awakens, like all the different characters, all the different like plots and things going on. Yeah. All the behind the scenes things. Like this was like, though I was m- most invested in it. Maybe like rogue one was like, it was like a little bit peaked higher in terms of total investment, but like this was pretty high up there. And so I was, Strange. I did not expect to be nostalgic for this film that only came out like five years ago. But yeah, I was. Yeah, no, I think the 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 you know a reasonable assumption as to why not only you but I also got nostalgic about watching this movie again is because since Disney has decided to just not stop Star Wars wise, um, yeah, this was this came out at a time when we hadn't gotten. Star Wars in 10 years since the release of Revenge of the Sith. And because that never ending sort of sense that Disney has sort of employed for Star Wars uh, is still going, you know, um, Mm. going back to the time when it had only just restarted does feel like 
ages ago. <laughs> yeah, um, it's like we've we've constantly been getting Star Wars the whole time. Yeah, and so it feels like oh, this is just in the constantly beginning Star Wars, and it's not until you think about what this was actually like five years ago. Like it's like there's been a considerable gap of time since that point. Like we were fourteen when this came out. So yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So look, I mean, there are, there's a lot to like about Force Awakens, and regardless of anything you can say about it, I think that uh, one thing that I noticed immediately. Again, is that the performances, whether it be from newcomers like Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, because they were completely unknown at the time of The Force Awakens. Across the board, they are objectively really, really good in the the movie. Finn Um, steals the show. He does. going, Going in this film, I forgot how much I love Finn. He is so good in this film. I... It's so it's he's he's the best character. He I, absolutely I really is like the best character. The re- I I think I said yeah. that a couple of weeks ago. Finn is my well, at the moment I came out of the Force Awakens. I was just like Finn is my new favorite, like one of my new favorite characters. And um, yeah, he's great. And there was a, so much to like about him, but there was just one. You know, there was there was something about his arc and the the crux of it that just really needed to to change upon rewatching it something that just shows like you know a little bit of uh, i suppose inconsistency i suppose but we're about to get into that so i guess we can just go from you know second number one um is like you know i still enjoy the movie to this day but the main problem is that it did not uh, i like you know looking back on it and you know having the sequel trilogy that yeah. we do now i guess it didn't co- create the appropriate amount of like you know story thread or the specificity for those story threads for the following films to carry those same threads on the, in and in an impactful way for the audience. So, um, like the film opens, right? And I mean, like, I, 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 okay. So no, 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 I, uh, sorry. You know what? I've just said it and I want to, I want to, you know, rephrase like, you know, there, there are things that in the movie that are set up really, really well. And there are things that happen in the movie in terms of like little tidbits that obviously, you know, JJ had other plans for that weren't executed properly because of like, you know, this, this, the larger problems that Disney has become very much known for. So I guess you can't critique the film for that because that, because they couldn't predict what would come later. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I assume you know what I mean, but like yeah. the film opens. Uh, the, way, right, and... the way I see it, I, I feel like it does set up a lot of things, but, um, I feel like the things that it's trying to set up aren't as interesting but the the thing that it does set up quite well is the stage is the era it's like yes it's kind of in it's in a certain sense it's a bit arbitrary and like a bit of a reset button it's like oh send us destroyed first orders back like on all that but like the way it sets up this this like this new stage of star wars i think it does so pretty well and leads into coming out of this film you're like i'm ready to see more adventures in this sequel trilogy era. So I think it does actually quite set up that well. And yeah, there are specific elements that aren't really picked up or are kind of dropped off in Force Awakens, so in Last Jedi or maybe Rise of Skywalker or not. But I think the still continuation of these characters in this world that was that was set up in Force Awakens, I think was done pretty well in this film. Yeah, so. um, and you know what? From second number one, another thing that you could also talk about is, like, you know, the moment the movie starts, it pans down, you get the look of this blue moon that orbits Jakku, and then how the, um, the First mm. Order Star Destroyer just pierces it, like it goes right through the middle. Um, it, you know, it, it, yep. it works thematically because it, oh, it means that they are just like, you know, wreaking havoc and not literally, but, um, you know, figuratively just splitting planets in half, um, which is, it actually becomes a lot more literal later, but, um, something that you yeah. do get to see, you know, is, um, 
you know, the, the First Order Troopers as the lights come on and this start in this, you know, transporter. And then you come down to uh, uh, Jakku and you get to see BB-8. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Lighting and cinematography is really good in this film. Yeah. Um, something that I can't fault JJ for, regardless of, you know, sometimes you know, as a writer, I'm not the biggest fan of the th- things that sometimes he does in this movie, sometimes the thing he does yeah. in Rise of Skywalker, but something that you can't fault yeah. is the way his films look. His films always look beautiful, um, and that is definitely on display um, in, in, in Force Awakens. And then you get introduced to uh, uh, Poe and BB-8, and then they have that little skirmish in the village where Finn has that moment where that stormtrooper dies, he you know drags his bloody hand on his helmet, and he basically has that moment where he realises this, this isn't the... This isn't the life for him. And um, the idea that, I mean, it wasn't, you know, hidden from us. It was very apparent in the trailers, uh, especially the last one when you go back and rewatch it, which I did before we, you know, do this discussion, is, um, yep. you know, the idea of a defecting stormtrooper had never been, um, you know, explored in Star Wars. And I was super excited to see what they did with it because um, it, they make it very clear in this movie that stormtroopers aren't clones. They are actually brainwashed men and women. So having yeah. Finn be this sort of guy who, consciously realizes no this isn't this uh, you know uh, this isn't you know what i believe in i didn't sign up for any of this i literally didn't sign up for any of it um was an interesting idea and i was excited to see what they did with it um and then you get to see uh kylo ren's introduction now again putting yourself back into the force awakens brain when we didn't have either of the two movies i love Hmm. kylo ren in this movie i think yeah he's great he has a very menacing appearance. Like his pr- his presence in a lot of the scenes does harken back to like some early scenes with Vader. Like in terms of like just just his ability to just command the environment is interesting. But I also I do really like the juxtaposition you get once he does lose the mask. Once you do learn more about the person behind the mask, indifference to Darth Vader, and how much of he of the fact that he isn't Darth Vader, how he is just a bit of a wannabe, how he is like still growing in the dark side and i think that that does become more interesting as the as the movie progresses so yeah kylo ren is one of the more is one of the other more interesting parts of this film i do agree yeah because like you know when you get to see the reveal later i mean we'll get to it eventually but you know when you get to see that there's actually no like you know there's no massive like you know mutilated face or massive scar he's just a Mm. a a a a boy under this mask and you know it's actually something that i believe a man (laughs) a man yes (laughs) um uh, it's something that kathleen kennedy actually said in the um documentary for fossil awakens on the blu-ray that you know it's almost as if putting on that mask makes him feel more powerful in times where he yeah where, where he doesn't and that's something really interesting to think about and it becomes all the more apparent that that's probably um, exactly what they're going for later when he starts to talk to Vader's mask and obviously he has the f- scene with Han Solo and yeah, blah, blah, blah. So, um, the- Adam Driver was 31 when he did it. He did not look 31. No, he did not. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, so that brings out, uh, uh, like, I think as an opening scene, the Jakku village scene would did exactly what it needed to do because it set up um, uh, Finn as this person who said, like, you know, no, this isn't me. Shows Kylo Ren, Poe. You get to look at Captain Phasma. Um, and again, if you got to put yeah. yourself in a Force Awakens brain, Phasma's pretty cool. But going into the sequel that's brain, cool. not so much. But okay. um, that's- We're talking about Force Awakens brain versus, like, sequel brain and whatnot. One conversation in this film, I couldn't stand. All right, I do really enjoy this film. Go ahead. Yeah, but I feel like one of the some of the worst, 
Some of the least enjoyable writing of the whole franchise is the conversation between Law Santeca and Kylo Ren. All right? Yeah, I think I know where you're sure. going. Yeah. Upon upon first watch, it's kind of exciting. Like Kylo Ren's like, where the, where's the droid at? Where where are the drugs at? Whatever. Um and and Lawson Tech is like, I know not where the droid are, but I know who you are. And it's like, tell me, tell me what you're gonna do with the, the dark side. So tell me about the Jedi, whatever. It's like, I know the Jedi from the light. You're from the dark. It's just so it's like kind of setting up who is Kylo Ren or whatnot. And so at the time, it's exciting. Like, oh, what they they're building up Kylo Ren? Who's his history or whatever? Yeah. Upon rewatch and upon like it not really being a re- major reveal or anything, you say, like, okay, Kylo Ren is a, a solo. It's what makes sense. That conversation is just unbearable. It happens like five times. There's like five separate times in the one conversation. Is he's like referencing like, oh, you hi- hail from the good side, and I know you're a good guy, and it's just it's just so obnoxious in the writing that upon rewatch, that's true. It's it's yeah, no, so I get, difficult to watch. I get what you mean. Is that like he 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 says something. And then right after he says, "But you are the opposite." <laughs> yeah, like, it's like, "Oh, but like, you're see, but are you? You come from the good guys. Like, says, which good guy do you come? Like, yeah, because yeah. Kylo basically says, "He says, look how old you've become," and he right. says something far worse yeah. has happened to you. Uh, the the yeah. map to Skywalker. If, we know you found it, and now you're going to give it to the First Order. He says, "The First Order rose from the dark side. You did not." Yeah, yeah. And then and then if, Kylo, okay. if we weren't watching a film, if we weren't watching a film. A hundred percent, Law Santeca would have just been like your family, Leia and Han, like want you back. Like you haven't fallen too far. Like whatever, he would have just mentioned it. He wouldn't have been coy and ambiguous. Like, oh, like yeah. here's who you are, Kylo Ren. We both know it. Audience doesn't know it, but we do. Like it's just, it's so on the nose and just. No, I agree. I just feel like it's horribly. Written. I think that something like you know a cardinal sin when you're screenwriting is making it sound like it's a movie character speaking. You need to make yeah. it sound like it's a human being in the real world speaking. That's something that, like, you know, it's... And that's... I mean, it's the fundamentals of screenwriting in that way. And something like this, you're right, Michael, just really points out that, you know, it's really doing the opposite, which is quite annoying. Thankfully, it doesn't happen yeah. at all times. Sometimes, you're right, no. Force Awakens is guilty of it, especially in other scenes with... I mean, we'll get we'll get into that, because mm. I did make notes on that, but... Uh, I don't know. This film just... this. This scene just weirdly bugged me. I don't. I don't remember why. I, I don't remember hating it as much. But even though I, I have seen Force Awakens a number of times, but just upon rewatch, I was like, dude, crin- I, I was cr- cringing, which doesn't mean anything right now. But like, I was like through the whole scene, being like, oh, this is just, this is just kind of like difficult to watch. Like, like we get it. He's a solo. We get it. Yeah. Just move on. Yeah. No. I mean, like that's that's. It actually, something very similar to, you know, Kylo Ren and his lineage being explained, that's sort of like, okay, these are movie characters speaking, not human beings, happens again later, but we'll get into that in a minute. And um, I love it. I love okay. I do. I don't mind him being a solo, and I don't even mind them hinting at it. It's when they directly mention it's problematic. I love it when it's more of the visual cues, like the fact that he's just really close to like the Darth Vader mask, and he's using it to like, like to seek power, and like maybe even he mentions grandfather or not. Like those kind of visual things leaning into oh, like this is his mysterious past or stuff like that. But just when they have like a direct conversation, just like nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Here's the thing we all know you want to know. What's it gonna be? Oh, we're not gonna tell you. Like I feel like that's where it's kind of just like on the nose and obvious. No, absolutely. When it's more visually into that, I think it's a lot better. I'm thinking, how brilliant would it have been if the reveal for who Kylo is? happens when he says show me grandfather 
and I'll finish what you started. Yeah. And then he walks off and you get to see it's Vader's mask. So then the audience has this moment that where, been, like in, yeah. in the cinemas, you're just like, wait, is he, is he Luke's son or is he Leia's son? And then, and then, exactly. and then, I feel like that would be and then you get to see nothing else. And then basically what happens is later on when Han and Kylo have their thing, uh, Han says, um, you know, what do you think I'll see if I do the face of my son? That's when you get the confirmation. Yeah. Not when Snow. I think that would have been stronger, but yeah. you wouldn't have been able to get a lot of the dialogue between Han and Leia because pretty much their entire conflict in this film is about Han trying to convince Leia. Oh that, yeah, that, no, well, like, just make it then. And Leia trying to be like, "Nah, he's back. Please get my son back. I don't like all I care about is you getting my son." No, back. No, that's true. Actually, you know what? Just make the set, make the second half of the reveal happen then. You know when Han says, yeah. "Leia, I saw our son." That could be the confirmation. Mm. But, you know, instead of the... Okay, we'll just get into it now. Who cares? When you were talking about the whole thing where these are movie characters speaking... We don't need to analyze this in order. If you haven't seen The Force Awakens, then I don't know why you're watching this review. But, like, we can just bring up, like, thematics and stuff that we enjoy. Okay, great. So, yeah, go into it. We'll do it like that. Uh, So, basically, you know when uh, Kylo and Snoke have their first scene and Snoke says, The droid we seek is aboard the Millennium Falcon in the hands of your father, Mm. Han Solo. Like... First of all, he knows who his own father is, so people speaking in a real-world context wouldn't speak like that. Like, you know, they, he'd probably say something like, you know, in the hands of your father, and that would be it. Because they both know who the father is. He doesn't need to say his name, but I think you know what I mean by that. And uh, so, yeah. like, you know, I think that would have been... It would have been interesting to explore. I, I, I don't know, but I think that's what I mean by... In the same way that Law Santeca f- sounded very much like uh, character dialogue instead of real person dialogue, that also was a point here. So, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, there. That's that's Kylo Ren. Uh, other, other than that, I think that Kylo Ren really is a well-formed character. In a lot of ways, I understand why he's doing what he's doing because that's what you get to see when he has the the scene with Vader's mask is that he feels this 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 pull to the light side and he wants to deny himself that and the whole reason he's doing everything he does is an extension of that of that very um uh fractured mentality so Kylo Ren as a character in terms of his motivations and stuff I always bought that especially in Force Awakens as it stands as a movie I think it's very well done so Kylo Ren I don't have a lot of complaints for again at least in this movie um, and, uh, mm. again, if we were to talk about it, you know, uh, if we were to talk about Finn, going back to Finn, uh, again, we don't have to talk about it chronologically, so I'm just going to get into my flaws for Finn. I think that Finn, like we were just talking about, is quite possibly the best new character from this movie, as I, st- uh, uh, yep. which is definitely what I thought when I walked out of the cinema in 2015. But something that I've come to realize upon analyzing the movie, thinking about it more, um, is a real inconsistency for his character in that in the Jakku village scene, you get to see that he is completely against killing people, kill, killing innocent people, killing these villagers, whatever. And then you get to uh, see him next, which is when he breaks Poe out. He says, like, you know, I need a pilot. We're going to do this, blah, blah, blah. And they get into the TIE fighter and they make their escape. But as they do, Finn is shooting down stormtroopers left and right. Um, so... Look, I guess the justification you could make for that is, oh, he didn't want to kill innocent people, but those are stormtroopers, so he can kill them. But wouldn't it be more interesting if Finn not only had a, uh, uh, you know, refused to kill innocent people, but refused to kill anybody? Because that's the thing that he even says to Ray, like that, like all of them, I was taken from a family I'll never know. So Finn hmm. above everyone else would know that these stormtroopers that are down there beside the Tie Fighter are not 
they're they're not almost you know it's it's almost not their fault because these are brainwashed people that were yeah. taken from their families as infants. So it would be more interesting for me if and it would um, again create another sort of character dynamic that we had never seen in Star Wars before. Someone who not only just dis- decided to defect from uh you know the first order, but decided no, I don't want to be a part of this war at all, and I don't want to kill anybody. That was yeah. yeah. I think. I, I do agree with you in the sense where it was it was interesting to like start to explore this idea of the morality behind the stormtroopers of like them questioning their their reality of like fighting for them and like and and like not wanting to kill the civilians and stuff and you get that at the start and then there is that loss of it where it's like yeah he's just killing his brothers left and right when they're trying to escape where he was so shaken up that one of his friends was was shot by Poe at like the start opening scene um, but I think. And while I personally do think it would have been more interesting to explore that, like this idea of that he doesn't want to kill civilians and like taking a more pacifist approach to Star Wars, which we really don't see too often in Star Wars, except from like the Jedi at some points, because like a Jedi in like an Empire Strikes Back, they're supposed to be like kind of pacifist, but then Empire and uh, Jedi in prequels is just like not at all. But I don't think it necessarily goes for that. And, like, that could be a fault where it's, like, I, it would have been more interesting if it took that approach. But I don't think you can necessarily fault it in saying that it was trying to do that and it didn't. Because I think it does kind of make it clear later on that Finn says the reason he defected and the reason he didn't want to do it is because he said he didn't want to kill for them. Like, there is an exact line where he says he doesn't want to kill for the First yes, Order. yes as opposed to he doesn't want to just kill people or kill, like, innocents. Like, that's his distinction, where he's like, rather than him being struggling and difficulty with the idea of, like, killing people, which I feel like could be more interesting, they were more going for the approach of he doesn't want to be a pawn of the First Order anymore, just like a, a, a child chose, like, stolen and then trained to be a weapon for them and, as a, and like, as to fight for them. He doesn't want to be that person anymore. And so it's an interesting approach to go... Um, I think, yeah, as I say, it could have been more interesting to go other approaches, but like, it certainly still was quite a unique aspect for Star Wars. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But uh, I, with a lot of things you just said, I'm just thinking that, like, even in the in the in Last Jedi, the movie that comes right after, like, the first thing you get to see of Finn is him trying to run away from the Resistance. So not only does he not want to fight. Uh, or kill for the First Order, but he's also not that crazy about fighting for the Resistance either. He clearly just wants to get away from uh, a war and conflict, which is all he's known since he was brainwashed as a, as a, as a child. So like, yeah. I think that the idea that he doesn't want to uh, kill or just, he just wants to create this pacifist lifestyle and be free of this, this, this war would be an interesting, you know, writing technique that would set up his arc in last Jedi, which is he doesn't know which side he's on or even if, or even if he wants to be on a side at all. Because, uh, like, frankly, mm. when I watched this movie again, I just find it hard to believe that in a, in the matter of literally no more than a day, Finn went from someone who couldn't even fire a gun to someone who was laughing and cheering when, you know, um, stormtroopers were, you know, being exploded and TIE fighters were getting shot down. And, like, you know, even when he's in the Falcon, he's, he's um, you know, he does, he goes out, woo, when, you know, they win and that TIE fighter smashes yeah. into the destroyer. Like, you know, they're probably not much different than you. They 
were probably brainwashed too. So, like, you know, there are definitely it, two ways to look at it. It does have a bit of dissonance, yeah. I, I think, yeah, you do you do look at it in terms of how traumatized he is by his friend dying and not wanting to, to kill the civilians and this idea of not wanting to, like, fight or kill for people. But then you also look at it, it's like, oh, does anyone have a blaster? I want to I get a blaster out here to shoot people. And it's like, in the TIE Fighters, yeah. So I think you definitely could make that claim. But Like, even in the TIE Fighter, he says, can you shoot? Blasters I can. I'm like, are you sure? You sure couldn't fire one down on the surface? Uh, well, yeah. He's got the experience fighting blasters, but he's just... I guess maybe he's more used to shooting targets than opposed to people. If there was, if then, there was some more growth... And he changes the if there was some you know more growth is, and distance though? between those two scenes, it's, it, it would have been more believable. What? Yeah, I, I, I think I got it. So basically... It's like one of the reasons why when you're watching the original trilogy and stormtroopers are flying left and right, it's like, oh, you don't really feel too much. Like, okay, maybe in the in the opening scene, there are a lot of rebels that die too, but like stormtroopers flying left and right throughout the whole show as they like kill stormtroopers doesn't really feel too much because they're this, this idea that they're masked and they're like kind of unknown. You don't get to see who they are. They're just kind of unknown people, which is why I think Finn was such an interesting breath of fresh air because you got to see what was under the mask. I saw an interesting video however long ago, which was like talking about this idea of unmasking the stormtroopers and like addressing this idea of Finn Force Awakens and how interesting this was. And I think a reason why Finn feels like, like, just just this struggling to kill it's like he sees these people like these real real people like no masks on this is just who they are and so i think you lose that dissonance when he is shooting stormtroopers or whatever as they're trying to escape but they're still just regular stormtroopers like you th- they become what they what finn is kind of not supposed to be like fighting against the stereotype or like the idea of just them being masked um, random soldiers like Finn is clearly not that he is an individual he has agency he has his own um, goals and like and problems with what's going on in the first order so he breaks this idea of stormtroopers just being masked uh, mindless uh, soldiers but then when he starts fighting again he just starts shooting um, wildly these people and then they become that again so I can definitely see some dissonance there like of it's like kind of a problem with like the the stories telling us one thing, but then it shows us the other. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And that, yeah, look, there are there there are so many different sides to how you can look at Finn as a character in this movie. Like uh, like we said, a lot of the time, I think that he's he's great because not only is he a good character, but he's funny. He's really funny, actually. Um, you got a boyfriend? Your boyfriend? <laughs> or oh, Han, Mr. Solo. Uh, yeah, it's, it, yeah, there's a lot of f- funny... Uh, yeah. There's a lot of moments yeah. in this movie... That, uh, we'll get into that. We'll get there's it. a lot of the, uh, moments in this movie that are like, really endearing, especially to him specifically. But there are also just some real character inconsistencies at many times, at least for me. But um, I guess since now since we're you know sticking on Jakku we could get to who eventually becomes yep. the main protagonist of okay. the sequel trilogy and that of course yes. is Rey a... um one thing i do want to say before we leave Finn is Finn yes. is great he has three main relationships in this film and all three of them are amazing it starts off you got Finn and Poe where their chemistry is so good it's off the chain like they're, it is like, literally they, off the chain when they yeah when they see each other they're just like we're gonna we're gonna break out. You need a pilot. We're gonna break out of here. They're all like having fun. Like again, 
take take aside the actually like looking into the morality and ethics of killing stormtroopers. If you just look at it as like a fun little Star Wars romp, they're having so much fun there. They're blowing up stormtroopers. They hop in a Tie Fighter. It's shenanigans. It's great. As they lose. They, he loses. I know. As soon as they showed yeah, he, up together, I was like, I would literally watch a movie yeah. with just these two because to this day, like exactly. it, even with me having a little bit more of a critical brain for Force Awakens, to this day when they have yeah. that exchange in Tie in the Tie Fighter where it's like Finn, I'm gonna call you Finn. All right. Oh yeah, yeah, I like that. Good to meet yeah. you, bro. Good to meet you too, Finn. And then they just fly off again. Yeah. I, I like I, so I still like, you know, uh, smile yeah. and chuckle to this day because of how endearing their relationship is. And it pains yeah. me that That's you so didn't good. get to see more of it, especially in this movie in particular. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So oh, yeah, but so their relationship's great. And then and then when he thinks he dies and he's sad for him, and then they meet up again on uh Dakar. It's so like it's great. I love their relationship. Then you've got Finn Finn and Han Solo, which is is I didn't realize was as fun. Like I, I remember the the uh, Han Solo and Ray like relationship they were building up, and this idea of like him being the father she never had type idea. But Finn and and Han Solo are so much fun. Like the way he's like Solo, and he's like, "Did you just call me Solo?" <laughs> um, and and then but he still calls him Solo after that scene. Yeah. Like matter a number of times, it's great. But my favorite line where he's like, "I'm kind of a big shot in the uh, in the rebel, <laughs> yeah. in the resistance." And he like and he like teases him. Han then calls him Big Shot for the rest of the film. Yeah, it's, you, it, yeah, it's so good. He, yeah, he he, he picks him up like when he it was nearly disarmed yeah. by that uh, by the stormtrooper he fights later. Big de- he says, it's big, big, big deal. deal. Yes. Yeah. Um, he picks him up and yeah. says, "You okay? Big deal." I'm like, and yeah. yeah, it's great. But also the thing that it's so good. The thing that's just really funny yeah. with the you know, especially with the the face that Harrison Ford was pu- pu- uh, pulling in this that's this this uh, yeah. where which is just a testament to how good he is in this movie when he's just like, "Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Yeah. Women always figure out the truth." <laughs> uh, that that, so that good. was very funny. And then there's the classic line, "That's not how the Force works." It's probably the most memorable line of the film, in my opinion. Yeah, um, which is it's. It's great, but then if then you all right, we'll get we'll get to we'll get to Ray, we'll get to, we'll get there. But then you've got the most important, or probably one of the other big ones, is Finn and Ray's relationship in the film, yeah. which I think is a lot of fun as well. And upon rewatch, I did quite enjoy it. Like, kind of starts off just kind of like very cheesy, just like setting them up. But I think it gets more natural out. But all right, my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the film is Finn is like trying to be like or like looking after ray in this weird sense which is just like, i don't need i don't need to, to hold your hand to like learn how to run <laughs> or whatever yeah. and like all these hilarious scenes going on but my favorite line is where one of my favorite parts of the film is when finn gets knocked down and is kind of like unconscious for like a second yeah. and ray runs up to help him it's like are you okay finn and he wakes up and his immediate reaction is are you okay like like Finn, you're the one that got knocked out. Yeah. Why do you care about? Well, that, that's that's that, that, that's the reason that I loved oh, Finn so much is because of how considerate yeah. and caring he was, and that's why he. I thought they yeah. were setting him up to be a really interesting character. And again, I just I, I don't want to harp on it, but the idea that he yeah. just doesn't want to um fight and he wants mm. to you know have this sense yeah. of neutrality to him as a character would have fit with this idea that he gets shot down, and then the person who comes and makes sure he's okay, he asks them if he's okay. Like something like that is something that was like, I really loved about Finn and I would have liked to see more of it, which would have been great if they had coupled it with that. No, uh, like, you know, I I don't want to, 
you know, I wasn't going to kill for them or anyone. But um, yeah, who? Yeah, yeah but um, no, I, I can understand that. But I, I think definitely Finn is just such a good part of this film, and like all those three major relationships he has, different characters in the film. Like there's smaller, minor ones, like with Chewie and with Leia and, and whatnot. But I think those three are like some of the most enduring parts of the film. It's where it's like the the duo with Finn and, and Poe, the duo with uh, Finn and Rey, and then the duo with like Han and, and Finn, like all these different parts. But some of my favorite parts of the film yeah. yes you wanted I mean, to you, you wanted you to mention get... you mentioned chewy i think chewy has some really great moments in this movie because he's just like wasn't he a, oh, wasn't he a war hero <laughs> or you must yeah. be so brave okay so finn raised in the first order right the only life he's ever known presu- like he's been raised for a child oh 100 he would have been indoctrinated into like first order beliefs and whatnot why does he know han solo is a war hero uh, I, 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 I don't know. I really don't know. Um, because they probably would, how, he he would how, how, he would have been educated that Han what? Solo was like a a um uh, okay. a terrible person. <laughs> I guess. All right. One of two things happened. One, either he learnt about Han Solo and a war hero on his brief time in Jakku, which I think is unlikely, <laughs> or they ed- they educated in the First Order. They were taught about the rebellion, but also taught about the rebellion's heroes, which doesn't make any sense like if you're if you're if they're clearly viewed as the bad guys as the people who destroyed the empire and like the ones who brought disorder to the galaxy and so you're trying to indoctrinate these children i don't know if you would necessarily teach necessarily teach about the the like the heroes of the enemy well, yeah. and how they were like the like they they like fought to fight for freedom and whatnot just like when when jack when not when jack when Finn said that, like, oh wait, Han Solo the war hero. I'm like, the war, the war hero. You were raised oh, by wait, the first but wait, order. I mean, he calls him the rebellion general first. Because he, because he, no, no, no. Because he, he said, because he says, because Ray says, like, you know, this is the Millennium Falcon. You're Han Solo, and he says, I used to be. And then Finn says, Han Solo, the rebellion general. And then Ray says, no, the smuggler. And then then Finn turns to Chewie and says, wasn't he a war hero? So he he but yeah. he's, okay. So, so the exact rebel, word was the rebellion general matters. General. But war hero yeah, doesn't. Right. Sure. I think, yes, you could get away with the, the rebellion general. Sure. They probably would have taught a rebellion general named Han Solo. But knowing as him as, as a war hero, I don't know. That yeah. that was just kind of like... Sure. If anything, they would know him but as yes, a war was... criminal. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, but that'd be interesting. I mean, you so easy. Like, like Leia or Luke, you could be like, okay, one's a Jedi, one's a politician. It's harder to explain. But he was a smuggler turned like war... Put like war fighter or whatever. Like, if you could blame frame anyone as a war criminal or like a, a horrible person, it's Han Solo. Yeah, I, I mean, look, like, uh, that, you're better indoctrination first order. That would have been a very interesting thing for them to actually, you know, maybe talk about is like, you know, all the revisionist history that Finn has been taught and how he comes to realize yeah. that none of that is true. And that could have been an exactly. and that could have been an interesting, like, you know, paradigm shift when Han actually has that moment with them when he says it's true, the Force, the Jedi, all of it, it's all true. Um, yeah, because like you look at the first order, and they're clearly building it up to be this idea of well, the original empire was this empire that fell and was as horrible, and it's very clearly an allegory for fascism and like Nazi Germany and whatnot. Yes. And I personally saw this film, the first order, this idea of like kind of fascism on the rise, of people being like, oh, we need to rebuild the claim, the glory of the empire and whatnot, which fascism is like on the rise generally throughout the world right now which is kind of horrible but basically i see it as like this idea of it was like criticizing like these people who are like a wannabe like fascist and whatnot which is why it's interesting where you see the first order 
besides from Kylo Ren and maybe the Stormtroopers, a lot of them are, like, weirdly young and, like, kind of sniveling. Like, you know, like, very, like, if you know what I mean, like, the, like, when you see all of, like, the, uh, the First Order, like, generals and, like, assault and, like, fleet officers and whatnot, like, the, clearly the people who are, like, this is their ideology, this is, like, the fanatics in their, in their following, they're all weirdly young, like, yeah, I guess, uh, and, I like, guess, kind I of, guess you're right. Yeah. Well, if you compare them to like the uh, in the uh, resistance, well, like in the resistance, everyone's like eighty years old. Um, like you got Leia, and then like Admiral Akbar, and like the other people. Like yeah, you got the younger people as well. But like, I don't know. I feel like it's it's interesting when you look at it. Like with the first order is is like a lot younger, and I I feel like I it's kind of interesting because... where it's like these people don't really know about the galaxy. It's like all they hear about is like oh the glory, like they were told, like this glory is like empire whatnot and they're just being lied to by this indoctrination of like building up this idea and they don't know the horrors that it really was which is what the rebellion knew about yeah so i i feel like that was an interesting i, idea. I guess i see what you maybe mean. you see because like you know in the empire you got general veers captain piat admiral ozzel they're all like full-grown men with mustaches and yeah and, and, then, the thing, and they were like from the um the emperor republic days yeah but the, and then you know you have the first order and they're all like young like that guy who comes in and uh, set and comes to Kylo Ren and says like you know the droid escaped. we were unable to acquire the droid on Jakku that that guy's not old like he's just a not even middle aged dude so it's it's no well I mean if if you just search up first order officer and just like look at the actors like a lot of them are like quite young like like sure Hux is a little bit older and every so often you get like maybe someone who was like from the uh, from the uh, from the Empire days. But most of them are like twenty-year-olds and like and and like thirty-year-olds. Yeah, no, I mean it's I don't know. But yeah, I mean you're right. I mean I I guess it's sort of uh, that that's very uh, apparent in in Force Awakens. In the Last Jedi, you sort of get to see like you know that person. I don't yeah, I can't remember his name, but that guy who sort of like acts as Hux's uh, right-hand man on the bridge in Last Jedi. He's kind of older. Captain Kennedy, he's older. But again, we're talking about Force Awakens, so oh, yeah. we can get. We, I think we should yeah. get back to. I don't know. That was just kind of something I saw into. I don't know. I thought I thought it was kind of interesting the way it was like addressing it like that. Yeah, I guess. Um, so I guess we, so we could just and also how much fear there is within the first order. Like they're all like all afraid of things, which is, is interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, so so anyway, getting to uh, Ray, um, Ray. Uh, look, there's what you can say so much about Ray now that three uh, of the sequels are done. But I guess the if you wanted to look at Rey in Force Awakens, I think she's great. Uh, 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 sometimes she she falters, but I think she's really great in the opening scene, and that's because of the fact that you get to see so yeah. you get to see so much of her. And there's about five minutes of footage where all she's doing is just going about her day. She's getting like you know her um, you know one quarter portion from Unkar Platt and going mm. home for for dinner and stuff. And at no point at any time in these five minutes do you get to hear her speak. It is all about Daisy Ridley's face and her performance itself and how it completely speaks for itself, which it does. And you get to see such a, a um, dynamic, a sense of a sense of loneliness and a desire for more from this young woman yep. protagonist. Without again, without a single word being spoken, and I think it's brilliantly executed exactly. by not only Daisy Ridley but JJ Abrams exactly. too. But I feel you want to say something, so go yeah. Ahead. I just want to show. I'm saying I think as we've discussed before, this I feel like it's one of the strongest scenes of pretty much the entire sequel trilogy. I think like the way it like builds up uh, Ray's character and like the setting of like the mood of this scene, like the whole tone of it's really interesting. And and upon rewatch, I think one of the things I noticed, which 
I don't think I noticed before, but like 100% builds to the mood is John Williams' score. I think it's like Ray's theme oh, or, or whatever Ray's it's called. Ray's theme is beautiful. It's probably, probably one of my favorite Star Wars film songs. I think, this is the thing, I like most, pretty much all of the Star Wars franchise, you can, you can say like the music is just consistently great. However, Force Awakens, upon reviewing and rewatching this, is probably what some of just John Williams' best work since original trilogy. I loved the soundtrack for this film. It was so good great. throughout the whole thing. Really, really good. I re- it was it was better than I remembered. I generally tend to not pay attention to soundtracks too much in the film, but when like Ray's theme was playing, when like some other parts were playing, it was just like it was like t- it was some of the most like encapsulating moments of it was just enhanced so much by the music. So I definitely think that was something worth highlighting because it was just it was it was like he's normally great, but this was even more exemplary. Yeah, no, absolutely. Whether it's um, Ray's theme with like dun 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 that 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 tiny little exactly. metal, the 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 melody that you get in that opening scene mm. when, like I said, there's no dialogue at all. So all you have is that music, and it's so beautiful. And not just Ray's theme, uh, uh, the the first order and Kylo Ren's theme when it's like dun 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 dun. It's it's. I mean, it's it's a lot simpler yeah. than the Imperial March, but it still evokes that sense of dread and 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 um, uh, evil. So that's that's very good. Um, so I guess if you just wanted to skip to her, like you know that part where Ray and Finn escape on the Falcon, which again is a beautifully directed scene. I think that scene where the Tie Fighters chase oh, yeah. the Destroyer might be my favorite scene in the movie because of just the way in which it's I, composed. It was it's great. it's very exciting. Um, again, I have one thing I want to. Another... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. I, I mean, again, I have problems with Finn just shooting down Tie Fighters willy nilly, but that's yeah. a whole other story. So, other than that, yeah, it's great. I, I think you. I think you could definitely make claims where certain elements of this film thematically don't line up with each other, but in terms of just straight up fun, so many scenes in this are great. I think this is probably some of the best use of the Millennium Falcon in pretty much any Star Wars film. Like, it's great in the original trilogy, and yeah. you love it through some of those space scenes. But in Force Awakens specifically, the Millennium Falcon is a character in and in of itself. It's one of the like one of the best uses of it in the Star Wars franchise, and it's like, you get a full sense of how much fun it is, and like, it's like ricketiness flying through space, but also it's like speed, and I don't know. I feel like it's 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 really well used in this film, and it's such an interesting ship, as opposed to where maybe like a lot of the other ships and stuff don't feel as like unique as, as special. Whereas the Millennium Falcon just really stands out in this film, as opposed to in like the later sequels, it doesn't really feel like as it's important. Like it's like it's got a good scene in Last Jedi where it shows up, but like I don't know. I feel like. It's some of some of the Millennium Falcon's best appearances is in Force Awakens, which I quite like. Yeah, no, that thing we were just talking about where it becomes a character. I think you're absolutely right, and it does that more so than any other Star Wars movie has done for the Falcon. And like you know, again, this just goes back to nostalgia and like things that happened when you were sitting in the cinema. That part where they're just like, "What about that ship? No, that one's garbage." And the and the quad jumper blows mm. up, and they turn and they're like, "All right, the garbage will do." And then it's revealed as the Millennium Falcon. And as they're running towards it, you get that and I remember seeing in the cinema and be like, "Oh, that's a falcon!" <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then the fight scene that takes place is is just is just great. And um, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So that then brings us to uh, Ray and Finn basically um, running into Han Solo and Chewbacca when they come back into this movie. So I guess we can start talking about um, the legacy cast and how they return. Um, 
I have to give the like the biggest like it, again this is five years ago but I will not stop giving praise to how good Harrison Ford is as Han Solo in this movie he is so good and it's no secret that Harrison Ford doesn't really like Han Solo as a character but it just it, it, it yeah. not only shows uh, like it only gives me so much more respect for Harrison Ford because you can tell that he's that he wasn't really that into you know, uh, the character itself, but, but he had a sort of responsibility to the movie and to the character itself and to JJ, everyone involved to, to give it his all. And he absolutely did. And I have to give him just all the props you can, because he's so good in this movie and he's funny too. And it's so, yeah. 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 I do. Agree. I think, I feel like it's kind of like overstated a bit in like media or like interviews and whatnot. This idea of, oh, he hates Han Solo, right? It's more just the idea that he's like, it's not as interesting of a character to him. He prefers yeah. a number of his other characters. No, no, no. And I, like, I agree with part. him. I agree with him. I think Indiana, yeah, Indiana Jones was, is a better character than Han Solo. Uh, I quite like Han Solo. But, you know, but, you know look, I, I feel like Deckard's my favorite um, uh, character. By, oh, yeah. Uh, look, Indiana Jones, Paul, was just, Indiana Jones was just an example. I'm saying that Han Solo... Yeah. No, if, no, no. Because Star Wars is Star Wars, if I look at, Har- if I look at Harrison Ford, I immediately picture Han Solo because I, I, you know, Star yeah. Wars is Star Wars for me. But in terms of an actual exactly. character and his you know, um, thematic experiences and how he's written... You're right, Deckard in Blade Runner, you know, <laughs> Richard Kimball in The Fugitive, you know, stuff like that is, is, is much better. But yeah. yeah. So, but but I but I do agree with you. In fact, that yeah, Han Solo is is another standout character in this film. I think this film itself is like, I I feel like it's almost not. It's less than the sum of its parts. Like in a sense, where you maybe something where it, I I saying like the prequels is greater than the sum of its parts. Like if you just look at any part of the prequels. It's not great. Like each part's kind of like, oh, this is not, oh, this is kind of weak. We put it together. It's like you know, if you tell an overall story, it's not as bad. Force Awakens, I feel like, is the opposite. If you look at it one overall thing, it's like, oh, does this all really come together too much? But if you look at it, each part of Force Awakens individual individually, each scene is such a banger. Like this, <laughs> so much fun, so much energy. Each character is so enjoyable. I feel like. I feel like Force Awakens is greater than the sum of its parts in a way. And definitely if you put in the sequel trilogy, like Force Awakens is, I feel like, better. And definitely Last Jedi, but like Force Awakens kind of better, like without the context of the sequel trilogy, kind of not really melding together too much. But like so much of this film is just, is just like on its own, such an interesting idea. Like each character is so much fun. Like a lot of the scenes are so much fun put together, but like, and like on, like on their own stuff. But you know, that's just how I see it. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess I would agree because like that's something that I did get to see in uh in in Force Awakens when I rewatched it is more so than any other of the sequel movies that we've gotten. Force Awakens is definitely the one that's the most fun, I guess, because yeah, yeah, yeah I definitely. mean, because uh, it's not my favorite of the of this of the new films, but I guess maybe if I had to pick one of the sequels to watch just on a day where I just want to watch a Star Wars movie, you know, Force Awakens might be one of my one of my uh, more favorable choices because like you just said it is a very fun enjoyable romp in terms of the scenes that you get but as one concise narrative there are many times where it really doesn't sync up very well because some of the themes that they, they that they sort of set up in early days like in the first act aren't really carried out and executed properly by the time the movie ends but i mean yeah that's that's that but um i guess basically what we we're up to is how do you feel about the Rathtar sequence uh it's fine I feel like it's quite enjoyable to like get like more Finn and, and Ray like their shenanigans are a lot of fun in this scene and Han Solo being Han Solo and just kind of goofing around with like Chewie's a lot of fun. But in terms of its overall importance, I feel like 
this issue this this film does have a bit of a pacing issue around after they leave Jakku, but before they get to Takadana. It's just it's really like quick in terms of like they're always having to deal with things and like it's jumping between stuff. And there isn't really these moments to just kind of like sit down and like get like and just kind of like deal with things until like after the Rafta like happens. I feel like it's not as bad on its own, but in terms of like the film with like pacing and everything, it does kind of feel out of place. Yeah, no, I think the second act of this for- of 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 Force Wagons is really where it starts to falter for me because, like you said, the pacing really becomes an issue. Um, because a lot of the in a, in a lot of ways, because the Rathtar sequence comes right after they get off Jakku and right after they meet Han Solo, but right before they end up on Mars Kanata in Mars Kanata's castle. Um, I really, you know. I, I don't really think that the Rathtar sequence is very good. It very much feels like the the um, the bathroom break scene of the movie, uh, <laughs> where you're not going to miss much even if you don't see it, um, because that's something that you get in like uh, something that's like um, like so apparent in the original trilogy is not only the fact that something's always happening that it will just keep you enthralled and keep you engaged, but every scene yep. every scene matters to the story. Every scene, like, you know, if one scene is extracted, all the other scenes in the movie might not work as well. But in Force Awakens, if you took out, like, you know, whole scenes, the other scenes wouldn't be detracted at all. And I think that is actually sort of a, a, a disadvantage in the movies, uh, for the movie, to be honest, is that there are certain parts that aren't really very integral to the overall story. And that's just something you can't afford for. So... Uh, and you know the Rathtar mm. sequence sort of fits into that category for me. But then, after it uh, after it finishes, you do get to go back into the Falcon, and they have that moment where Han basically says, you know, it's all true, and they and he has that exposition scene where he explains what happens to Luke, and you get a little bit of an insight as to why he left, and he says like you know there was one boy who turned against him, destroyed it all, and you do get a strong sense that that is whoever Kylo Ren is, because at that point you still don't know. Yeah, there is a lot of. A lot of the dialogue and a lot of the way that they're building the world is very um, praise the original trilogy-ish. Like, in terms of, it's kind of like the opposite of the prequels. With prequels, they were building the world, and it was very like, oh, this is not Star Wars, this is not how we know the world, like, Senate's Republic, like, trade negotiate, like, this is not how we know Star Wars. Whereas, whereas the sequel trilogy, I kind of felt like, it's it's Lord's world was like oh yeah this is the original trilogy forty years later and that's all that's really happened is is we're just like kind of still the original trilogy forty years later uh, and so I I kind of in a sense it kind of didn't really build its own feeling in that until like you started to experience the characters and like the characters were some of the feel like some of the best parts of the sequel trilogy and do start to make it its own in feeling. That's just how I see it. Yeah, I mean, I do. I also do enjoy the idea that, like, you know, this this amount of growth that Han Solo has gone through, where in that very same room about thirty four years ago, he was saying, like, you know, it's it none of it's real. Hokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. And then he has that moment where he says, "It's true." I mean, mm. it, it's it it just shows how much this universe, um, in terms of universe context, not only really the movies, but in terms of how much the universe has changed and the 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 chessboard is, you know flipped in a sense but then i guess you get to go to to takodana and something that i noticed is when they're coming out of hyperspace and they enter the atmosphere um when ray says you know they ha- she has that moment which i guess sort of builds her up as a more um you know empathetic character when you're sort of supposed to feel bad for her because she's sort of been abandoned her whole life when she says i didn't know there was this much green mm. in the whole galaxy and then han solo has sort of has a moment where he lo- yeah. where he looks over to her he frowns as if he's disappointed to hear this and the car and he goes on so i think that 
very early days. That was that was a pretty that was a pretty sweet moment. Yeah, that was pretty sweet. It was. Moment. I mean, I think that also given Han's reaction and the idea that right after he offers uh, Ray a job, um, it gives me the impression yeah. that very early days JJ was meant to give Han and Ray more of a connection that they than there ended up being. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, they. Kylo Ren definitely mentions saying that, like, he saw that she, like, saying, oh, you saw Han as a father you never knew type thing, which, like, I, I kind of is true, but most of their reaction was just kind of, like, most of their relationship and the and scenes of them together was Han being like, oh, we need to do this thing, and Ray being like, I did the thing, and Han being like, oh, surprise Pikachu face. Like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, like, that's kind of most of their relationship. Yeah. And so... I don't know if you necessarily build up this, like, oh, uh, he's like a father figure to her. Like, one, they didn't know each other for very long. And two, yeah, that was, you didn't really, I, I didn't really get that across, but, you know. Yeah. I feel like you, de- it definitely builds up, I mean, not through this film, because they hardly interact, but, like, definitely in later films, they definitely build up Leia much more as the, as the, as the mother figure to Rey than, than, than Han is a father figure, I feel like. Yeah. Um, because, like, you know, there are other, like, you know, hints to what JJ originally wanted Ray's lineage to be. But I think that there is so much to do with, like, you know, Han's, um, you know, what Han had to do with her before we actually got to come back to this universe. Because of that moment we were just talking about, she's so good with the Falcon and its tech. She knows how to fly it very well, almost as if it's in her blood. And then when you get to go to Maz Kanata's castle, like, you know, when Finn and Ray, you know, walk off from their table to have their discussion, you know, Mars turns to Han and says, who's the girl? And then it cuts away and you don't get to hear the discussion. You know, like it, yeah. there, there were so many instances where where JJ was a, was clearly trying to set up that yeah they have some connection that's going to be explored in the coming movies, but you know, it wasn't his fault. Yeah, that, I feel like know. this this film more than just like ambiguously being like, oh, here's a mystery, here's a mystery, which it definitely does, but this film specifically with Ray sets up almost everything as a possibility for Ray, like. Like it builds up like this, this kind of like, oh, Luke is this is this um, idea building up. Maybe she's got a connection to Luke at the end, whether it's like teach me a Jedi or whatever. And then there's like building up this idea with like, oh, this has got a connection to Han Solo and like uh, and Leia and like and like she hugs Leia and there's this relationship with Han Solo. But then also like, oh, they add Obi Wan kind of in this like flashback yes. and whatnot. Yes, I feel like, I feel like. It feels like JJ didn't have an answer when writing this. Like, oh, we'll come up with an answer later on. And, like, we kind of know that to be true. At the very least, we knew he, he, he was thinking about different ideas. But, like, it when I'm reading, when I'm watching this film, it doesn't feel like, oh, there's an idea that I, we just don't know yet that he's hinting at. It feels like he's hinting at, like, five different things. And I guess he'll just choose one in the future, which is why I felt really satisfied with The Last Jedi, because it wasn't any of those options, but it still felt satisfying to Ray's character. I don't know. Like, that. Like I didn't... Some people saying after they watched Rise of Skywalker, they felt like when you go back to Force Awakens, it, it's it's like, oh, they were setting up Palpatine from the start. I didn't get a single sense. No I way. No way they no, were. Nowhere. No way, not a single scene in this entire film did I feel like, oh, it was clearly setting up Palpatine. No, not a single, I didn't, 
I completely forgot Ray was a Palpatine throughout this entire film. <laughs> no, there's no chance that Palpatine was even close to being involved when Force Awakens came out. And we know that now that Daisy Ridley has come out saying that originally she was going to be Obi-Wan's granddaughter. Um, and that, you know, sort of makes sense given what you see in this movie. When she goes into that vision and she hears Alec Guinness say, uh, Alec Guinness's Obi-Wan say, Ray, and then when she falls back on her backside back into that hallway, you get to hear Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan say, these are your first steps. Like, and like, you know, mm. that was one of my prevailing theories coming out of um, Force Awakens is that she was a Kenobi. And, you know, clearly JJ wanted to go that route, which is interesting because he was also clearly trying to set up a, um, a backstory between Ray and Han. They've clearly had something in the past that obviously never panned out given the lack of a plan. But, um, yeah, so it, it sets up this idea that J.J. was not only trying to make her somehow in, involved with Obi-Wan, but also involved with, you know, um, Han and quite possibly Leia as well. So I, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, so I, I did, I, as I said, I got this, this sense that it was like setting up all these ideas, but it didn't feel like it was setting up an idea or an, an answer. It was more setting up a mystery than an answer, which is like, you can't blame Ryan Johnson for like doing, even if like, let's just say he threw away whatever was going on and right doing his own thing. Cause like either one of two scenarios happened either he gave, he, he did the first film and it's like, here you go, Ryan Johnson, good luck answering this question. Or he gave him an answer to like one of them. It's like, Oh, this is the answer. That's kind of like, watch there's a power team that came out of nowhere. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like it watching this again, just makes me when we look back to last Jedi, which we'll do next week or whatnot, makes me think, yeah, I, I'm even more like that. Ryan Johnson was like the best solution we could have gotten for this, but you know, yeah, I, I, get, I get what you mean. I mean, uh, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, oh, yeah, and something that you don't that you also don't get to that also becomes very apparent as, yeah, he had this mystery, but he didn't have an answer for it. Is that whole thing that happens when Mars gets yeah. the lightsaber out? And Han says, yeah, where'd, you, where, where'd you get for another time. that? That could basically sum up the entirety of the sequel trilogy. It's the entire film. A good, we qu- never, a good question for another time. And we never found out. No, no, I, I, got, I got, got a better, I got a better one. A good question for a visual dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not even in the visual dictionary. We don't know how hard would it have, how hard would it have, how hard would it have, would it have uh-huh. been? She's like, because she basically says, yeah. I've had this for ages. And good then, question to be hinted at in a visual dictionary. She has, uh, she says, I've had this for ages. She gets it out and she goes, and she goes, kept it locked away. Well, yeah. Anyway, so that that sort yeah. of brings us to the um to that Takodana fight scene where you get to have that th- where the resistance shows up and blah blah blah. Um, that's something that I would have really loved to see instead of what we got is that traitor stormtrooper. Like this clearly should have been Captain Phasma because. Phas- I, I agree. Because Phasma it's was like, marketed as they build such up a, Phasma. Yeah. Phasma was marketed as such a, yeah, they, as they a, build as up- a, um, a, a merchandise point for this movie. Like, oh, Stormtrooper in Chrome Armor, she's going to be awesome. And she does nothing in this movie. Yeah. She, like, at the, at the promotion of it, you're like, oh, Phasma's this awesome, cool character we're going to get. After the fact, you know, oh, no, all the promotion was just to, like, create her as a, as a merchandise figure to, like, she has an interesting design. But, like, no. 100% they should have done it because they build up this idea of, of Finn and, and Phasma having this antagonist relationship and all that results in is them, like, is, is them, like, forcing her to put the shields down and, like, putting her in a trash compactor. No. Instead, we get this random, random uh, soldier, FN9999, I think his name was. It's, like, <laughs> where he goes, like, traitor. 
I hate how I know that. <laughs> That's great. Um, I, I found something that but, actually said that his number was literally TR8R. Traitor. Oh, yeah. That, that was the joke. That was the joke that was like coming out at the time. Yeah. Everyone was like, oh, it's Traitor. But I, I think his name is FN999 mm-hmm. or something. It doesn't, it, it doesn't feel like you don't feel attached to this. Like, the storm. It's, you know what's interesting? Kylo Ren also yells out Traitor to Finn. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I. Which is interesting because, like, I guess it builds up this idea that Kylo Ren is just as indoctrinated into the ideals and, like, idea of the First Order as the Stormtroopers are, because he's been corrupted by Snoke as well. Uh, it's F FN two one nine nine, I think, is oh, okay. Yeah, and he's is nice, but it's so, and it's like this idea of like he's just as indoctrinated, and this idea of people like leaving the First Order is like they're traitors to the idea, to the the First Order, to the Empire. And it's like, no, we just like came to the conclusion that like this is not a good thing. Why are we? Why are you in this? And like, I did like this idea of like a fellow stormtrooper calling out, and it's like you have like left, you've betrayed us. But, like, that didn't go anywhere aside from a small fight and then eventually being shot by Han Solo. Like, if they had have had, like, a, like all right, maybe, like, it wouldn't have worked too much in, in Star Wars. But, like, like if you go into, like, anime style where, like, while they're fighting, they have, like, a whole conversation going on. Like, like why would you betray us? It's like, you thought, like, you realize that you're fighting for the evil side. Maybe, like, Anakin and, like, Obi-Wan style where, like, they're lightsaber battling. They have, like, a whole conversation going on. Like, that could have been interesting, like, talking about, like, Finn discussing with... A- a stormtrooper who's still indoctrinated trying to convince him like the first order's evil of some sort that could be interesting but no instead we just get a very fun like spinning scene with his his little riot shield uh, and then that's about it yeah finn gets called a traitor many times throughout not only this movie but the next movie like like you know he gets traitor he gets yep. called traitor here he gets called traitor by um uh by Kylo Ren he gets called a traitor by Captain Phasma in the next movie he gets called a traitor by by Rose like everyone's calling him a traitor was <laughs> it rebel scum Yes, and Rebels. Yeah, well, that's he kind of is. He, he's a traitor to the First Order, and then he's kind of a traitor to the Resistance later on, and then he, he's just a traitor to everybody. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and uh, I guess once that scene shows up, um, that's this is another showcase of why of how much I love JJ's direction in this movie because when you get to show yeah. the when you get to see the Resistance show up, two things. First of all, that awesome tracking shot where you get to see how good of a Poe, a pilot Poe is when it it doesn't cut and it has him like whizzing throughout the entire sky. Like I love that enormous tracking shot that JJ does was just flawlessly executed. And this is another time where you get to hear one of my new favorite themes for the sequel trilogy, which is the Resistance's theme, because again, John Williams just knocks it out of the park with this theme. Because as soon as they show up and the and the and the X wings are just like zooming along that um that that large body of water and it's slowly building with the that it's a great theme so yeah um again like you were just talking about the the score is on point for this movie so um that's great and once that scene wraps up you get to uh you get um leia back you get to see leia back you get to see c3po back um am i the only one who really wanted c3po's red arm to stay <laughs> yeah, I I feel like they put it in as a gag, and then they like give it a backstory in comics and whatnot. But it's just kind of there. It's like, yeah, I, I feel like you do. I do like having these like visible differences between C three PO like over time. Like original trilogy, he's got the silver leg. I I think throughout all of it, maybe in the later ones he doesn't. But like where he's kind of like different looking, and the a pre prequel trilogy, he's like 
without his shell, then he's entirely silver, then he's proper gold through Clone Wars and, and Return of the Jedi. Like, it would have been interesting to have, like, the sequel trilogy, C-3PO have a red armist, like, to kind of distinguish which version of him it is. But yeah, that that's dropped pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, you know, you get that comic backstory as to why it happened, but, um, like... And given that they that there is a backstory as to why it happened and why that backstory is very sort of like impactful, I, I don't see a very logical reason why he would want to get rid of it. Frankly, I think that if he decided to keep it for the rest of the sequel movies, it would have created a nice like you know, um, you know, separating the sequel C three PO from the original trilogy C three PO because like you know, it's sort of reinventing him in a way. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's that's just me. If I was in charge, maybe, but I'm no. not so. Yeah, I can, I can, I can understand it's that. Not, it's not offensive. So. Like, I don't mind that he has the gold arm back in the next mm. movie, but you know, it's just a small thing. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. You know, one thing I noticed about uh, I, I don't notice, but it's interesting about the Star Killer base, right? It's like when it fires and it blows up Hosni and Prime. Oh yeah, we haven't talked about that. And yet. like, it's building, it's building up this whole like spectacle like oh they're on takadana they're like watching like it like brings like finn back into the fight as he's trying to like escape it's like he sees the scale of destruction but like they're on takadana they look to the sky they see the the lasers that are being fired through hyperspace like okay you can justify that it's like okay clearly like let's just say they're, they're like massive amounts of light that's being sent through hyperspace sure this is like very powerful clearly it's like it's like can be seen throughout most of the galaxy. All right, fine. But then they see Hosni and Prime explode. What? I, I how I don't understand. <laughs> not only, not only is it like in like it, if that would be very difficult in the same system. Like you cut like planets are not that big, but they're not even in the same system. How do they see Hosni and Prime? Hosni and Prime's in the core. And Takodana's in the mid rim. What? Takodana's in the mid rim. Takodana's a mid rim planet. Yeah. In the in the uh, I don't know. It's a mid rim planet in the yeah. western reaches. And Hosni and Prime, like you said, and yeah, I, I, I honestly don't know how they could have been able to see it. Which, I feel like J- <laughs> JJ had a bit of a similar problem with this in his Star Trek film, where they watch oh, um, yeah. Vulcan or whatever explode, and it's like they watch it from another planet, where it's like. You would not be able to see this up up this close, but like, it's just what like I mean, it, it makes sense thematically. Like, oh, they all see explode, like they know the danger, but like, how how do they ever see this? Do they have like a little no, hyperspace? That really doesn't make like, any sense at all. They were just like very like that's another thing that I feel JJ suffers from sometimes is he has a lot of cool ideas that are fun and enjoyable to see on screen but really has no interest in explaining how those are actually happening. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I guess that's one of the main, a lot of, a lot of these things feel like they're, they feel like their choices to like, make it interesting to like watch, but like you kind of put them together and you're like, wait, what, what you think about it for more than a second. Yeah. Look, it, it, it happens again. It happens again with all the star destroyers and the wavefinders <laughs> and all that crap in the right in rise of skull yeah. is that it's cool, but there's no logical reason as to why they exist. And that's something that JJ's writing really suffers mm. from. But, um, you know, uh, uh, that's just my yeah. personal opinion. Uh, but anyway, getting back to when you get to see C-3PO and Leia, um, I also have to say that Carrie Fisher's really, really good in this movie. In the small part that she's in, I think she's great. Yeah, her, yeah, it's they kind of change. I feel like the dynamic of Leia. She she feels like a, a very different character to she does in in the original trilogy, which makes sense because she's shifted over time. She's become like a general. She's like 
she's a lot older and so she's like she's got a son and which is like her main priority in life which is interesting because if you compare it to han solo where his response to 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 kylo ren going evil and whatnot is to regress is to go back to his life as a smuggler as opposed to leia who's kind of moved on moved forward and is trying to hold on to like her her life like that and so it's like their dynamic of like leia has kind of changed but like han solo hasn't really as much i feel like that's kind of interesting to me yeah, I mean, that's what Han says. He says, we both had to deal with the loss of our son in our own way. I went back to the only thing I was ever any good at. And then Leia says, you know, yep. we both did. So I guess Leia thinks that all she can fall back on if she loses everything else is this idea that she can sort of, like, command a force that um, sort of fights against the uh, fights against uh, oppression in their world. Um, but, you know, that's that large scene that takes place with, you know, Han and Leia... Um, you know, when they get that scene where, like, you know, I don't want to forget him, I want him back, you know, it's it's interesting because that scene that they get, that long scene when they're on Dakar and they have that thing where they talk about their son, not only does it is it great to see Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher back again because their, char- because their chemistry and the way they play off each other has not diminished in any way, but they just really, oh, they, they play off of each other very well and this idea that they lost their son is on on display at all times, not only in how they perform, but in the way it's written. Like, this is, I think, one of the better written scenes of the movie. And it's also kind of funny at the start yeah. because of the fact that she says, like, I'm trying to be helpful. When did that ever help? And don't say the Death Star, <laughs> which is which is kind of funny. Yeah, but, yeah. they've got a good dynamic. Yeah. Uh, this, this idea of the Death Star, like, always being brought up, is just kind of strange in this film. It's like, yeah, well, that's the, the way that, like... You can talk about Starkiller Base. Is the, How do you feel about Starkiller Base? Yeah. <sighs> Less... Less funnily than I remember. Yeah. It's 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 it feels lazy. Like I get like this film is meant to be like a soft reboot to the Star Wars franchise, like a kind of a retelling of a new hope and like the thing that people enjoyed. But it's just you didn't you didn't need to do a a a, a planet killer. It's and it, and it's like so obnoxiously mentioned as a planet killer too. Like the, like the idea of it's like oh it's just another Death Star. Like nope, this one's bigger. But it's like oh we can still blow it up though, right? It's like. Yeah, I, I guess we could still blow it up, but like, especially with like the context of Rogue One saying that like, the first Death Star was like uh, intentionally planted like that. I don't know. It it feels so lazy. One of those like, older Jedi generals literally says, "It's another Death Star." <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, and then Poe says, "You know, I wish that was the case, Major. This is the Death Star, and this is Starkiller Base, and he shows it that it's way, way bigger." But um. You know, not only does this film focus on a Death Star-like planet killer, but Rogue One is all about the Death Star and all that. And like, yeah. you know, so so you got so much Death Star in so little time that it felt like, look, does does no one realize that the best movie in the Star Wars, you know, uh, you know, saga and the original trilogy mm-hmm. is the one that doesn't have a Death Star in it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I think it definitely it it lent too much into it. I think. It, it a lot of the choices in uh, this film, which are pretty much just uh, a new hope, but like different, don't feel as bad because they're kind of like it's the sequel trilogy take on it, or it's like a, or like new characters. Like BB-8 is so much fun. Uh, we haven't even mentioned BB-8. He's another standout part of this film. He's great. And like, even though it's like, oh, it's just another droid carrying like secret plans, or whatnot. Which we'll get to the whole secret plan thing, or like the the secret Map. adventure, whatnot. Map. Yeah, I, I've got a fair bit to say about that. But like, even that doesn't feel as bad. But then, just when the Death Star shows up, it's just like, 
what this didn't this did not need to be here i don't know yeah i mean okay so uh i'm not sure how long we've been going for but i guess we could sort of just get into the third act now so you can talk about the map like what yeah. like this, this idea that they yeah that, that yeah we'll finish because yeah. jj has this love for MacGuffins, there there needs to yeah. be something that everybody wants that forms the basis of the story. Whether it's the map in this movie, whether it's the Wayfinder and the and the magic knife in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the the map for in in this in in the movie, look, it doesn't look. Um, it doesn't make any sense. The moment that I okay. the moment that I came out of the movie, I immediately mm. thought. If Luke didn't want to be found, or if he wanted to be yep. exiled, yep. why would he leave a map to himself? Exactly. But, th- but, exactly. but then I started to, you know, do a little bit of research, and um, apparently the map itself is not a map to Luke Skywalker. It is a map to the first Jedi Temple. And if that's the case, then fine. But if you need, but you need to explain. They- but you need to, in some way, not yeah. not too much to the point where you're just creating unnecessary exposition but at some point you do need yeah. to describe the fact that this is a map to the first jedi temple so that you can stop the this this criticism that's that was like you know uh inevitably going to happen yeah. that said but why would luke leave a map if he didn't want to be found exactly. blah, blah, blah. well okay you say that but here's the thing is is like in in last jedi it's very clear like he would he clearly would not leave a map. So it's this idea. It's the the map to the uh, end of the Jedi. But like they mention in the in the Force Awakens that uh, some people suspect that he went to the origin of the Jedi. Sure, that makes sense. However, whenever it's mentioned, it's mentioned it's a map to Luke Skywalker. Yes, that's true. It's clearly a which every every time and it's so. Finn and says like, outright. He says you... this droid needs to get to the yeah. Resistance base as soon as possible. And then Finn says he's carrying a map to Luke Skywalker. Like yeah, uh, it's it's yeah. It's like explicit. You can't defend but it. like, here's the other thing. The other, my second least favorite line after the Law Santeca conversation yes. is one line by C-3PO, which is, it's very unlikely that R2 will, will wake up and have a map to Luke Skywalker. Oh, God. It's just mentioned. They just mentioned that it's like, it's very unlikely that the answer to all our problems will just happen. And then it happens. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. Whose idea was that? after after the all the the entire movie takes place and they return from Starkiller Base, the idea that that R two just woke up because he wanted to wake up is looking yeah. back on it probably the laziest choice in this movie and maybe one of the laziest choices in the sequel trilogy as a whole. The fact that he just hey, wakes hey. up and it just happens is yeah. like because he because he said uh, R2D2 has been in low power mode ever since Master Luke exactly. went away. Like maybe mm. if Luke showed up a, 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 a earlier in the in, in the sequel trilogy and interacted with R2, and that's when R2 woke up, then it would have made sense. But um, because R2 himself carries the rest of the map to Luke Skywalker, which itself doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, um, yeah, that's what. There's so much to go here. So one, why is R2 got it? Like, I guess maybe that was the map that Luke used to find it, but then he just left some of it with R2 and then some of it with Lawson. Who knows? And he didn't take R2 with him. Okay, okay, fine. But secondly, he only wakes up, I guess, when they get back from the Death Star. I guess you could make it the claim that that's when Ray first arrives there. So it's like, oh, maybe they're setting up Ray is is related to R two D two, therefore Luke Skywalker. Another one of the setting it up. It's like kind of what, but it's just it's just so contrived. And R two D two contrived is horribly, contrived is a good word for it. Yeah, it's horribly. He's horribly used in this film. He's like barely in it. He only appears as just like C three PO mentioning him, and then when he does show up, it's in just like the most like 
out of the blue Deus Ex Machina just like, oh yeah, and we had the answer all along. Yeah, I don't know. It's that's probably the one of the biggest criticisms. Like, what is R two in this film? Yeah, no, that that's uh, that would probably be my biggest critique for Force Awakens is the 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 coincidental just just happenings in this movie that happen purely yep. because they need to move the plot along, and that's something that I find that I really don't enjoy when I watch this movie again. But um, I guess you can sort of just wrap it up in the third act when they get to. Um, when they get to Starkiller Base, and if you just wanted to round it down to like one scene that really, you know, you know, encapsulates the third act, it probably would be Han Solo uh, meeting his end. And this, this, and like, say what you will about the Force Awakens. There are a lot of things I like about it. There are a lot of things that I really don't like about it. Um, mm. But this scene is so good, and I still love it to this day yeah. because Han, at this point realizes the mistakes that he's made as a father and as a as a role model for his son and um he's trying to convince him that like you know you know uh you know my son's not dead snoke's using you for your power and once he's got what he gets what he wants he'll crush you blah 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 and when he yeah. and um look i can still remember you know how shocked i was when he did die in the cinema but something that just breaks my heart to this day is that moment where he does stroke kylo ren's face because of the and i call him kylo ren because at that point ben solo sort of really just dies out Mm. um uh, but that moment where he sort of strokes his face is this idea that like you know i'm your i'm your father and like you know i mean you've just killed me but i'm your father i'm not going to stop loving you and neither will your mother and that's a good it's 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 very well illustrated by jj and the way he forms the scene itself and the way that kylo uh, not kylo ren sorry adam driver and harrison ford both execute their um respective roles in the scene i think it's really well handled and that cut that you get to leia when she feels it all the way from dakar is um is is is, it's, it's all very well done the editing in this movie can't also be faulted but um, that's just a, like a technical thing that's good. That doesn't matter as much as telling a good story. And like we've made clearly, like we've made clear, Force Awakens does struggle with that sometimes. And if you if yeah. you wanted to talk about a real reboot to, um, you know, A New Hope, and it borrows way too much, this is when it really starts to become a very get very apparent because that the the um, X wing side of things they are literally mm. flying down a trench. Yeah, I I actually really like the X wings and the design of them in terms of it's like. It's clearly the X-wing, but it's like kind of new and like. Oh, the design, the design, the design is great. great. Like it's and, uh, again, technically, it's, it's yeah. executed flawlessly. But yeah, yeah, like a lot of a lot of the new designs and things featured in this film upon rewatch, I'm like, actually, I quite enjoy a lot of them, and it was kind of new, and refreshing. Yes, we don't see as much of like classic aliens or whatnot, but you know, it's it's still they wanted to the designers wanted to flex some of their like creative muscles and do like new planets, new aliens, whatnot. But I definitely agree that like the X-wings and the trench the chent on like Starkiller base it's like okay they clearly want a space battle to be the final thing alongside going on what's not happening in like the ground battle and whatnot and it's like yeah it, it it's it feels like a new hope was like kind of like wow how did this happen but then they explain it in rogue one and then return of the jedi it's like okay they it was like the emperor was like kind of being really cocky and was like this is just like final stand like he put a whole gambit on everything but in this it's just like how did how did the resistance win this? <laughs> there was like there was like twelve X wings. They blew up an entire planet. There was the entire the entire first order, whatnot, and they managed to like just I don't know. It's it it does it feels like they it does feel like one of the another one of those just like oh they wanted it to be original trilogy or like kind of came out of nowhere. I I, I do agree. It was it's it's just it's it's rather strange. Like yeah. while visually interesting, just you right. know not as it doesn't thematically match up with it. Yes. Well, okay. So I guess 
we could sort of round out the discussion with the lightsaber duel that happens at the end. I feel the lightsaber yep. duel is is are, are, are quite good in the movie, and they it creates a good sort of um, uh, midway between the duels that you got to see in the original trilogy and the over choreographed lightsaber duels that you had become used to in the sequels. Uh, uh, no, yep. sorry, in the in the prequels, and that's something that I remember yep. being sort of um, worried about before I saw Force Awakens is. How are they going to handle these lightsaber jewels? And I feel like out of all the ones that you actually get to see in the um, sequel trilogy all up, this one's probably the best. Um, yeah, you really, you really don't see too many lightsaber jewels at all. Because there's, there's no because yeah. there's 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 no lightsaber jewel in Last Jedi. Well, there is, but it's well, they don't, not with the same. They don't use lightsaber versus lightsaber because there's the lightsaber fight with um, the Praetorian guards. And that well, yeah. is a lot of fun, yeah. but it's not a lightsaber versus lightsaber. But it's it's pretty close. I quite like that one. Yeah. But and then and Ren versus Skywalker, with, their sabers don't even touch. So yeah, that one doesn't count. That one. That one and I've got some count. very strong feelings about the fight between Kylo Ren and Rey in Rise of Skywalker, but that's a story for another day. Yeah. So I feel like I, the jewels in this movie really stand out as the best ones, and yeah. they're really. The lightsaber feels a lot more grounded in this film than it does in previous films. Like, it feels like a real tangible object impacting this world, which I think yeah, is quite... Yeah, that's something they actually did very well in this scene, is that they actually applied, like, you know, some real weight to these swings and these clashes that happen. Like, you know, the amount of force mm. that Kylo Ren is exerting on his lightsaber towards Finn when he just slams him to the ground by simply clashing their sabers together. It's really interesting. And also, you know, when you were in the cinema and the lightsaber starts to wiggle in the snow and it starts to fly to an unknown hand until it reveals that it's Rey. Um, yeah. Like, me being the Star Wars nerd and fanboy, I thought, oh, crap, Luke, it, it's going to be Luke. It's going to be Luke, and then it was Rey. I mean, I don't have a problem with it being Rey because, like, you know, it's it's great that it did uh, go into, you know, Rey's hand. But did you sort of suspect that it would be Luke and that when, you, when, you saw it, when you first saw it? Um... No, I don't think I suspected it'd be Luke. Uh, I thought, I mean, I just thought it was like Kylo Ren, like the one that was moving it until it suddenly appeared to be Rey. So I don't, I don't think I, I ever was reached a point where I'm like, I suspected it wouldn't be Kylo, but we didn't know who it was yet. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think it does. This film definitely builds up this idea of Rey being very early on in her force, but it just kind of like coming out in like a very uncontrolled ways. Where like it's it's just clearly very powerful in the force, but still very inexperienced, which I think leans better into her later, episode, later movies, where she's like she's clearly looking for a teacher, someone to guide her, ideally who isn't a dark side user, but you know. Yeah. And so I think I think it built up Ray pretty well in terms of her force powers. Yeah, and that brings us to um to to Luke in the very last scene of the movie. Um, when I found out that Luke not only didn't speak in the movie, but didn't really do anything but, you know, take off a hood and look at Ray. Look, I, yeah. I wasn't disappointed. Um, I, I wasn't disappointed because you can't judge the, if you go back and, and look, Luke is not in a single one of the trailers. He's not on any of the posters. So you can't get yeah. mad at the movie that he's not really in it because it's not like they were lying to us. Because the movie's not about Luke. The next movie is about Luke. Uh, I mean, it's very much uh, um, featuring Luke. Yeah. But this movie was supposed to be about introducing the, the new characters that we're going to be uh, following in the next two movies and how they yeah. are helped along by the people who still exist in this yeah. universe and, and, and still miss the Luke that they knew before you know the sequel trilogy happened. So I don't... So I, I agree. I think it's an interesting setup for Luke 
but like it's not disappointing that he was like only in like this part of it because it's like they were clearly the film was about setting up for Luke to like then have him appear as like a major part of the next film which we did get um although interesting thing I think he gets like second billing which is like He's hardly in this. Film. Yeah, Mark Hamill was paid like almost as much as anyone, and he's in the and and, he, and he's in it for like the least amount of, of, as anyone, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think Harrison Ford was at the top of that, but um. Oh yeah, ha- Harrison Ford would have been most. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and that sort of brings us to the end of the Force Awakens. Look, I, I guess yeah, as definitely. as to to summarize our thoughts on it, I think that to this day I still enjoy watching the movie because it is it is fun, but a movie has to be a lot more than fun. It needs to convey. Um, uh, you know, good arcs for the characters and, and help you understand why they're doing what they're doing. And and uh, sort of like from a screenwriting perspective, you talked about it very early on, whether it be with Snoke and Carlo's interaction with Los Anteca or with C-3PO. Like, you know, yeah. they are, it's character, a lot of the time it's character dialogue. These aren't things that actual humans would say if the cameras weren't on them. Yeah. And that is something that the movie really struggles with. And like, you know, I, again, with JJ's writing, you know, mysteries that are set up but don't really have any uh, leeway to be answered. Um, it looks beautiful. JJ doesn't let, it, let you down there. But uh, overall, I'm still very mixed on Force Awakens to this day. I still like it, but I still have a lot of mixed feelings towards it. So, And those, honestly, yeah. have only gotten stronger with time. So, Yeah, I agree with you when you said it's a very fun film. I think thematically it can, can seem a bit inconsistent and also doesn't really feel like its own film. Like it, it kind of, it's constantly juggling between trying to be the original trilogy and like bring it back, but also trying to set up its own sequel and like further films where they like, like on its own, if it, if there was just force awakens, it would be kind of really disappointing. Like what this is, this is it. But then also having films afterwards, it's like, Oh, it's not as interesting as setting up as, as, a, as we thought it would be. So like, it can kind of be disappointing in that sense, but I do agree. It's a lot of fun. There are some great elements to it. It's got some of my favorite sequel trilogy moments, but in terms of all coming together in one total product, I don't think it's as strong as certainly prequel, so not prequel, original trilogy appearances, and I personally think later Last Jedi. So, yeah, that's how I see it. That is how we both see it. That is the end of our Force Awakens discussion, so I guess we could... Uh... Sort of rank, sort of rank it now, and I'm now reali- realizing accidentally that I haven't really taken time to think about that. But um, you go, f- so I, you go first. <laughs> well, I I would currently rank it as bottom clone, Attack of the Clones, second Phantom Menace, third Revenge of the Sith, fourth Force Awakens, fifth Revenge, uh, Return of the Jedi, then A New Hope, then Empire Strikes Back, as we currently have it, with it slotting in between Return of the Jedi and and Return of Revenge of the Sith. That's where I would put it. Okay. Um. Because I was thinking, I honestly don't know where to put it. Because, uh, like, you know, mine is actually basically the same as yours. But I go back and forth between Force Awakens and Revenge of the Sith. Right. Yeah. I don't really know where to place it, to be honest. I mean... The way, the way I see it is, I think Revenge of the Sith is a lot of fun. And is certainly, like, a lot better than most of the prequels and still high quality. But you take, like, a scene in Revenge of the Sith and you're like, okay, we're watching Revenge of the Sith. We need to go into that with the mindset of we're watching Revenge of the Sith. Whereas you take a scene of Force Awakens, you're like, this is just fun Star Wars enjoyment. I, I don't know. I yeah. see it as, like, maybe as, like, a whole product, Revenge of the Sith might be cons- more consistent, like, not more consistent, more overall thematically stronger than Force Awakens. 
Um, but I feel like it's just consistent throughout the film. Force Awakens is just a better film, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think I can say the same. I think, I yeah, uh, thinking back on it now, I, I think if I had to pick, like, you know, if I was just on a rainy day, watch a Star Wars movie, I can either watch Force Awakens or Avenger of the Sith. I'm, pro- I'm going to pick Force Awakens. So I can say Force Awakens. Frankly, right after Force Awakens came out, I would have said that Force Awakens was better than Return of the Jedi. But now, but, really? but, uh, like, just in terms of my enjoyment for it. Yeah. But now that I've had some time to really, process it and think about it properly as well as return of the jedi since we've already gone through that i do still like return of the jedi more which is why i'd say uh yeah attack of the clones phantom menace revenge of the sith force awakens return of the jedi a new hope empire strikes back so um our lists despite what i originally thought are actually still the same so there you go yeah. and um if it continues next week yeah, yeah that that will start to uh shift the tide but uh, yeah, so that also brings an end to our uh, episode for today, guys. We've gone very long, so thank you so much for uh, listening uh, to us for this long. I hope you guys are still. If you guys are still on board, uh, you guys are the best. <laughs> Hopefully, it's still an enjoyable episode, despite that it being quite a long recording. Yeah, well, we had a lot still. That's okay. The, the The time codes will be able to help you out because they will be listed down below, um, mm. and everything that we normally say is the same podcast, social media. They're all the same. You can listen to, you can see them, uh, in the description below and, uh, yeah, you know where to find us. YouTube will be tomorrow. And yeah, that's, I'm, I'm saying it very quickly because I think we should just, <laughs> cause, uh, for the sake of runtime, we should just be wrapping up. So, um, in the interim, I'm not sure what will be happening, uh, for the next week. Apparently we've got news coming, so that will be, uh, something to talk about next week. And, uh, I'm sure we'll find something to, to do. And I hope you guys will enjoy it. I know that, um, we will. So, Thank you again, guys, uh, for listening. Michael, anything else to say? No, uh, look forward to next week. So we'll probably do Last Jedi. Otherwise, we're still building up hype for for Mandalorian. It's going to be good. Uh, Yes. Joining Alice fan right now. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, that's about it, guys. Thank you very much for listening. May the Force be with you always. This has been Telling Telling the Odds.